1: welcome to the 42 cast your ultimate answer to fandom geekiness and everything as always i am your host nathan and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about star trek yes we are doing our star trek watch through series i'm going to admit this one was recorded in the pre-covid times we uh, you know like with everything The schedule is sort of put together as the needs arise, and because I've had so many gaps when I couldn't post, certain episodes fall through the cracks, and so even though Star Trek is really important to me, other than keeping up with the ongoing series like Discovery, and of course Picard, it's been hard to get out all of the episodes, but... We are here now. We are here at this original series episode. There are already recorded episodes for the Star Trek movies, as well as The Next Generation. And fairly soon, we should be recording one for Deep Space Nine. So, there's a lot more coming. I'm hoping next year to clear out, if not all of the backlog, at least most of the backlog and whatever, it will still be there, I'm hoping will only be six months old rather than a couple of years old but since this is the original series it's not like the conversation is going to change much between this year and a couple of years back so it's still a good episode there's still a lot of fun conversation so just stick around and you'll hear all of that but as far as what's been going on with me uh, still watching warehouse 13 with beth We are watching kaiju movies still, even though mostly we've been focused on Godzilla movies, since Mothra is kind of part of the Godzilla family, even though she's only had four standalone movies of her own. We're actually on the trilogy that came out in the 90s. We've already seen the 60s standalone Mothra movie, but we're watching those before we go into what's called the Millennium series of movies for Godzilla, because these three Mothra movies kind of came out in between the Heisei series of Godzilla movies in the Millennium Series, so we're watching through those right now. We're going to watch the second movie tomorrow from this recording. And yeah, I mean, not a whole lot else to uh, report. We're watching Cowboy Bebop for our anime thing that we're watching right now, keeping up with the CW shows. We'll be watching Loki in a few weeks, because we like to wait for the show to either be over or be almost like, we'll probably start watching it when the fifth episode comes out, so that we catch up by the time the sixth episode comes out. So that's sort of the plan right now. But yeah, I don't want to take up too much time with just talking about what's going on over here, because not that much has changed since last episode, so now let's join the episode already in progress. As we talked about uh, on the previous uh, episode that we did for Star Trek Discovery, uh, I am going to have a co-host for my Star Trek episodes, and so uh, let's all say hello to my buddy Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie?
0: Hello! I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself?
1: I am doing good. And uh, so what's been going on for you lately, Stephanie?
0: Oh, not too much. Uh, Life has been rather monotonous with work and work and work. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I can relate. uh, Yeah, I think we all can. Um, Since we last talked, um, I think um, the last one I was on, I had mentioned that I had started writing a book. And I have officially uh, filed for a copyright for that first book as it is finished. And it now has a title, The Witch of Castleton. Um, Excellent. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to officially get the copyright back. But once it does, I'll be quite happy and maybe actually start looking around at publishing it and I'm actually only about a couple of chapters away from finishing the second book in the series that goes along with that so yay
1: very cool so you already looked into like publishing and and how you're going to go about doing that
0: um a little bit not a whole heck of a lot uh part of me is really waiting to get that copyright first for Mm. the sheer fact that you know it kind of protects the uh, years worth of work that I put into it. Oh, well, sure. No, <laughs> and, no,
1: I didn't I didn't mean to actually go forward with publishing. I just yeah. meant look into, like, how you go about doing that and costs and things like that to get it started. And yeah, I've so. done
0: a little bit of it. Um, if I go about self-publishing, it seems pretty easy, but I kind of suck at self-promotion,
2: so <laughs> I'm not so
0: sure I want to go that route. Sure. Uh, so it'll just take a bit of, I don't know, digging around... Um, and once I have that copyright back, I'll be a lot more open to going full-fledged shopping around for publishing.
1: Makes sense. All right. So, yeah. So uh, so you're not sure, though, when that copyright's going to come back? They, they didn't give you, like, a time frame or anything?
0: They gave me a time frame of two to nine months, I think.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Um, and I filed it about two months ago. Mm. So, yeah. We'll Any... see. I'm anticipating by, like, summer.
1: Yeah any day in 2019 yeah exactly <laughs> in 2019
0: i'll have my first official copyright Woo.
1: all right well yeah let us know when that goes through
0: we will do i'll probably not shut up about it when it does so
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it's good to have you back on the show stephanie
0: thank you good to be back
1: you're welcome and uh next up coming to us from the american sci-fi classics track it's all silver eyes himself gary mitchell how are you doing gary
3: I, I feel like a god.
1: <laughs> yeah, so...
3: And that I must kill my friend.
1: Yes. <laughs> so you actually met him, didn't you tell me, at a con?
3: Yes, I, I got to meet him uh, twice. I met him at Dragon Con in 2000, uh, and I got to, walked up to his table and asked uh, for his autograph, and I said, you probably heard this all the time, but my name is Gary Mitchell." And he went, no, you're the first. So I was
1: like, "Yay!" Yeah, you would because Mitchell is an all, you know, an uncommon last name, so you'd think there have to be, you know, some Gary Mitchells out there. But uh, I
3: figure other yeah. parents are just superstitious.
1: Sure. <laughs> Did you ever get silver contacts?
3: No, uh, but I should at some
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> or you can and always get a friend I, to CG them in.
3: Ah, true. And then once we Joe and I took over the sci-fi classics track about. Three four years ago now, he and Cure Delay showed up for a 2001 anniversary. So I got to do uh, host a panel with the two of them. So that was pretty mm-hmm. awesome. That
1: is very cool. Um, it's it's cool to have like some, some like a tangible like uh, touchstone to the show as part of your own life. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, so what else has been going on for you, Gary?
3: Well, speaking of Dragon Con, Joe and I uh, this week officially got word that we are. Uh, Invited back to be the directors of the classic track Uh, so we can seriously start planning our shenanigans Mm -hmm. Uh, every year. It's like it's not official until we're told the the Dragon Con overlords always reserve the right to go. Thank you for your service. Move along. (laughs) Right. Yeah, um, although from uh, my experience and understanding, most people leave by choosing to leave as opposed to being fired. But it has happened a few times.
1: Right. But I'm sure there would have to be some sort of a scandal or something where people really don't like those con directors for them to do that. And, and the sci-fi classics track, people are pretty happy with. That's true. Yeah,
3: yeah. you have to do something like pit, uh, like really seriously get under the skin of two of the major guests on the same panel. Mm. for an example.
1: Okay. <laughs> Not to get too specific on something here. No, no
3: that, that's, as ve- that's as specific as I'm going to get. Right, At right. least on a recorded podcast. Right. <laughs> talk to me in private. No, yeah. I'll, I might
1: I'll just step. talk to you on the first pass when we start doing one of these episodes because we know it won't be recorded. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's true. Or on, temp, what, 16?
1: <laughs> right. Um... So, that's that's great news, though, that you guys are coming back, and I'm actually going to be there this year, so that's going to Yay! be a lot of fun. Um, any, anything else going on for you?
3: Um. I'm moving in two weeks, so that's going to be fun.
1: Mm. Yeah, I saw on yeah. Facebook that you had found somewhere to go, so that is good.
3: Yes. Geeky friend of a friend, so... Uh, it, it's a house, and they're looking for roommates. I'd prefer to live someplace by myself, but, you know, I, I'd rather live with roommates than on the street. So. Right! You know, if those are my options.
1: <laughs> right. I think
0: we all would take that option.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, No, well, that's that's good. And, you know, yeah, just to, uh, to keep things going. I, I figured in all of Atlanta there had to be somewhere for you to live, so... <laughs>
3: Well, you know there are a bunch of overpasses, of spaghetti junction.
1: So, <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, so all right, cool deal. And uh, anything else going on?
3: Uh, that's pretty much the big stuff in my life right now. Um, yeah. And I'll be moving the weekend of like December fifteenth. So I'm hoping people will be able to help. Otherwise, this washer and dryer is going to kick my butt.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no joke. I mean, yeah, that's. Hmm. If I was there, I'd help you, but i'm i it. quite quite a ways away so oh, <laughs> unfortunately come on, i can right. get you on better panels drag no. oh, tempting, tempting i <laughs> am
3: not a below bribery
1: right <laughs> oh man it's, it's great to have you back on the show gary
3: it's good to be here
1: all right and finally coming to us from the satellite not of love but of earth station one it is our buddy michael gordon how are you doing michael
4: Howdy! Yes, I'm ready to talk about the new season of Gotham.
1: (laughs) Uh, You're on the wrong podcast, Mike.
4: Wait, what? What? That's why I always come to the 42 cast. What's going on?
1: Yes, we're going to talk about uh, Star Trek.
4: Oh, oh, okay. Um, Well, that's good, because Batman's not in that either.
2: Right. (laughs) Right.
3: I would pay good money to see a Batman Star Trek crossover. Batman sixty six. <laughs>
4: right. Oh, I'm sure it's, it may happen.
1: Oh. They've been
3: crossing over that sixty
4: six stuff in comic form with a lot of stuff these days. So. I,
1: I saw somebody did like some fan art of that, like a, a photoshopped like poster of the Batman sixty six characters in Star Trek together. I think it was Khan and the Joker. <laughs> like side by side you know like they team up yeah
0: yeah i remember seeing that too <laughs>
1: um so uh so what's been going on for you lately mike
4: well uh you know just uh surviving uh having a lot of fun still on the earth station one mothership uh where you are man it's hard to believe we're going into our ninth year um that's a lot of podcasting
1: um, are but, you already uh, looking ahead to your 10th anniversary special and what you're going to do for that i don't even look ahead into this week's episode okay. i'm not sure what we're
4: <laughs> so i um i just take it as it comes man. okay <laughs> um so yeah uh i'm sure things will be yeah because i think we're also approaching our 500th episode mm. uh, oh
0: wow so,
4: yeah so that's uh it's pretty amazing but um, yeah, so that's good. Uh, so we're plodding along that way. A lot of exciting stuff going to be happening with the network-wise, which I'm sure you're aware of as well. So that's uh, that's always good. And uh, and you know, keeping busy. Um, it Looks like uh, we're getting closer and closer to uh, finishing up Tiki Zombie number four for next year. So I'm really looking forward to getting that behind us and and uh, releasing that out into the world. Okay, cool deal. And will there be
1: another Tales from the Station this year? Uh, not uh,
4: in 2019. 2019, oh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're actually doing a uh, book, uh, a book called um, Tales of the Dragon, mm. which are, are dragon tales. I haven't decided which. Probably more like dragon tales, but mm-hmm. uh, um, and that's going to be a um, a collection of memories columns. Um, moments um essays about dragon con okay uh, it should be available next year at dragon con as well uh there's going to be a lot more information posted on that pretty soon and uh all the proceeds will be going to uh the official it's not an official book at by any means but uh the official um, uh, charity for next year um uh which is uh i believe it's the um heart association gary is that right
3: Uh, I haven't seen the announcement yet, so... Yeah, so
4: um, it's to honor uh, Tom Trainer. So Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be, I think it's the Heart Association, so all the proceeds for that book will be going that way. Okay, cool deal. So uh, yeah but there'll be a lot more information on that to come.
1: All right. So yeah, you've got uh you've got jam, a jam-packed schedule going forward throughout the year, it sounds like. Uh,
4: yes. Yes, the uh the only yeah, it, it just remains to be seen which which things will actually get finished and published.
1: All right, cool deal. Well, it is excellent having you back on the show, Mike.
4: Always glad to be back here too. Yeah, and I'm very excited. Thank you for the invite for uh this one in particular. Star Trek, uh, particularly the original series means so much to me, so I'm glad to. I'm always glad to talk about it.
1: Oh no, I'm I'm glad to have anyone on that wants to talk about it. So so this works out really well, and you of course are always welcome. But before we get to talking about Star Trek, uh, we're going to go to our five minute controversy, and so this week I wanted to talk about something um, that came up. Uh, of course, um, uh, it's it's been a little while now, um, as of the time of the recording, uh, Stan Lee. Uh, passed away, uh, the creator of so many of the Marvel characters, uh, who had been with the company since the Golden Age of Comics, had written for Captain America and everybody, pretty much on from that uh, through uh, the early '70s. And um, the thing that I wanted to talk about were some comments that Bill Marr made. Um, now he posted in his blog uh, in a in a post uh, entitled "Adulting." <laughs> <laughs> um, that, uh, uh, and, and I'm just going to, uh, to read a little bit here, um, um, from what he said, and then I'm going to want your thoughts on this one, because, uh, I know a lot of people have, um, have been talking about this. So, um, he says, uh, the guy who created Spider-Man and the Hulk has died in America's in mourning, deep, deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. Someone on Reddit posted, I'm so incredibly grateful I lived in a world that included Stan Lee. Personally, I'm grateful I lived in a world that included oxygen and trees, but to each his own. Now, I have nothing against comic books. I read them now and then when I was a kid, and I was all out of Hardy Boys. But the assumption everyone had back then, both the adults and the kids, was that comics were for kids, and when you grew up, you moved on to big boy books without the pictures. And he goes on to talk about people pretending that comics are, you know, actual literature and stuff like that. And uh, you guys have probably seen excerpts from this or have read the whole article. So I- I'm, I- I'm curious about uh, your thoughts on this. So, um, Mike, let's start with you. What, what, what is, what was your response when you first uh, heard about Bill Maher's comments?
4: I, to be honest with you, I didn't really, I saw something briefly about it, but I didn't really look into it. Um, so I, I basically, they, to me, they're just um, comments uh, basically stemming from ignorance. And uh, if he's trying to poke some buttons in order to get a response from people, that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, I mean, if he honestly believes that, then, then he's, he is worse off for it. I mean, certainly, in the grand scheme of things, decades from now, people will be remembering Stan Lee and his creations, and they will not know who Bill Maher is whatsoever.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reason that I wanted to bring this up, though, is a lot of people have this view. I mean, uh, it's becoming different, and I think, you know, getting into the younger generations, I think people are starting to be more open to the idea of comics as literature. But I would say my parents, even, even though they probably wouldn't say this in the wake of someone's death, which I thought was particularly crass, um, you know, probably have pretty much the same view. Uh, I shouldn't say pretty much. They do have the same view. Um, And so that's why I thought that it was something to, you know, at least talk about and discuss a little bit
4: yeah uh, i mean i, I I've, I've seen that too where a lot of people are, you know they have no idea that that uh in, in particular is specifically here we're talking about comics that uh that it's a it's not a the, yeah, the other thing is that it's 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 either for kids or they're collectibles they're not actually right. like pieces of art which is just ridiculous and uh if you can't explain it to them, I, I don't know what else to do. But it just uh, sort of like feel sorry
1: for them. Mm. Uh, Gary, did you have something to add?
3: Uh, I was gonna let Mike finish his thought. Right, sir. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, and I would also say though it's a pre- I, I agree that it was a prevalent thought in a certain generation, like Mars, mm. that comic books are just strictly for kids, as things as people got older and more people read comics as they grew up, because we gotta remember, comics is a medium, you know, started a while back, but up until mm-hmm. like the 50s and 60s, it was not really, you know, it, it's still a young art form
1: mm-hmm. in a lot of
3: ways. Uh, and it takes a long time for some art to really get respect. Um, so, yeah, it starts, you know, in, as Mel Brooks beautifully put it in uh, History of the World Part One, there, first, you have the first artist, and then there's the inevitable bad side effect, the art critic.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, so I think that uh, it's because and I can remember when I was a kid in the 80s, being still in the comic books in my teens, several adults telling me that I need to stop reading them one in particular, who tried to get me to not only stop reading comic books, but stop watching Star Trek, get out of anything fantasy or genre-related, because quote-unquote that's unreal. Mm. So you shouldn't care about it. You should be watching sports like a like a normal person. Mm. You know? um, but thankfully, I think that attitude, like I said, has changed as more people have grown up reading comic books. As the art form has evolved, and you get people like Neil Gaiman writing it. You get people like Gail Simone writing um and it becomes a real art form yeah, there's trash comics out there and there is aimed at young adults or kids comics but that doesn't you know but that's the same thing you know there's finger painting and then there's van Gogh
1: right <laughs>
3: um, And to be honest, Bill Maher has been desperately trying to stay relevant and keep attention on himself for the last 15 years as someone else put it mm-hmm. he's got to be worried that HBO bosses are sitting that, back going why are we still paying this pot smoking idiot when we have uh, John Oliver now on Sundays mm. <laughs>
4: yeah well, yeah. and actually Gary to your point um, I just thought of en- like in, like within the comic industry a lot of people are frustrated because there's not enough comics targeted for kids
1: No. Mm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we've kind of – the pendulum has kind of swung. I think it was a reaction to the whole, that's just for kids, why are you still reading it? And a whole overreaction to – and I think every art form does this, especially – is like they take the wrong lesson of, like, Frank Miller writes Daredevil and The Dark Knight Returns, and all of a sudden we get the Iron Age of comics. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we have to be serious now. It's like, no, no, we can still do Peter Porker, The Spectacular Spider-Ham. Come on and it does seem to be kind of coming back but yeah there was a long time where you couldn't pick up a comic book where all of a sudden the hero wasn't covered in spikes and blood <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. yeah um, Stephanie do you have anything to add to this?
0: He's an out-of-touch boomer who doesn't have any happiness left in his life.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing—the thing to me was that, first of all, is there any reason why you needed to use the tragedy of someone's passing to, you know, basically spit on his life's work? Um, yeah. It, it, it seemed really, I mean, even if you want to hold this view, and even if you want to say, like, look, I, I think that people need to wake up and look at reality, I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with, you know, saying something like that, but not when it's like, oh, this guy Stan Lee died, and people think that, you know, his work is important, well, I think it's just a load of garbage, it's kind of like, dude... You know, like, you don't do that when people are in mourning over someone's passing. It it just, it just seemed, it seemed wrong just on that standpoint. But then there's the fact that even, it's funny because, you know, when people, you know, were upset with him, he then comes out and he's like, I've never read a comic book in my life. When it's like, well, your previous blog post just said that you had read comic books, you know. And so I don't even know if he's like saying what he really believes or like if Mike said he's just trying to generate shock to get attention or what because he can't even seem to get his own story straight but yeah i mean the funny thing for me is coming at it from i didn't read comics when i was a really little kid i didn't even start reading them until i was a teenager and i had already read novels i would already read asimov and tolkien and things like that so it's like to me it's not an inferior art form it's just a different art form you know and uh the, the serialized storytelling allows you to do things that you can't do in uh, something that's a little more self-contained like a book so you know I,
3: I don't know I, I, and there's always going to be someone who wants to rile everybody else up and I mean the only time I haven't seen somebody spit on the dead person when someone big has passed like this the only two I can think of are David Bowie and Fred Rogers Oh, and Don Knotts. Nobody had a bad thing to say about Don Knotts when he died. Um, But every time someone famous dies, there has to be some contrarian who wants to get some
1: clickbait to go, well, they weren't
3: really all that great if you think about it. Like, you just shut up.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this attitude is an attitude that needs to, to end and, you know, people need to become more informed. I mean, cartoons are another one that gets spit on all the time, oh, you God. know, and it's like mm-hmm. animation. You can do you can do, you can do porn with animation. OK, I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying you can do it. So, I mean, the fact that it's animation doesn't make it, you know, uh, uh, for kids. You know, just, just because it's animated. And you can have as deep storytelling as you want, and you can make things as graphic as you want, and it's the same with comics, so.
2: And
0: yet, on a similar note, when I was younger and told people I liked anime, everybody assumed it was porn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's because Wait, you're a bit younger than we are, Stephanie. And by that point, people kind of and only knew. young people watch porn. Uh, Wait, what? Right. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, by that point, anime had become well known because it, there had been some like shock, like oh, what is this? You know, anime pornographic stuff. You know, uh, stuff that you know parents started you know seeing. And...
0: There were people who were like claiming Sailor Moon was an adult series, and I was
2: just, like. <laughs> Dude,
4: what? All it takes is one bad
3: tentacle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all it takes is one blockbuster putting Legend of the Overfeed in the kids
1: section, and that's it. Right. Oh, God. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 people, yeah, people always pick something. You know, it's it was comics, and it was rock and roll, and it was video games, and it's anime. You know, there's something that's you know horrible for children that's corrupting them. So anime it was anime for a while um but but yeah i mean but in general though people view cartoons as being something for kids and like gary said the reason why there's been such shock has been cases where like uh video rental places would put anime in the kids section not realizing that so that anime was not for kids you know <laughs> I shouldn't be watching that but uh anyway
4: in a lot of ways i mean you know the su- the main subject that we're going to talk about now had that issue where star trek you know was a mixed, it you know, mixed messages. Whether it's like, Ew, is it for kids? Is it not for kids? Is it for adults? Like, it, it had a difficult, a very difficult time in trying to define itself and and
1: find an audience. Well, I think that is a perfect segue. So, uh, unless somebody has something else that they want to say about uh, Bill Maher's comments about uh, comic books, um, then we're going to wrap things up here and uh, we're going to pause for a moment from a promo from another fine podcast
3: we're the con guys as in comic-con and this is the con guys show coming at you straight from the heart of hollywood california with the news celebrity interviews and fun loving opinions to help fuel your passions
1: we are your ultimate insiders filmmakers writers actors costumers gamers panelists but most of all we are fans and whether it's sci-fi collectibles
3: comic books gaming animation cosplay or fan conventions if you love it We cover it. Your behind-the-scenes look at all things con. Welcome to
2: Dr.
0: Geek's Laboratory.
3: Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider.
2: Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.
1: And we're back. And uh, like we talked about at the top of the show, we are going to talk about Star Trek. And uh, I inevitably get the question, which one? It's the one that's only called Star Trek. (laughs) What a lot of people now call TOS for the original series, but it's just Star Trek. Um, But uh, yeah, so Star Trek uh, was the vision of a man named Gene Roddenberry. Um, He saw a hopeful, bright future. um, uh, And uh, he got what was kind of unusual at the time because he did a pilot for Star Trek and uh the pilot was rejected by the networks and usually when that happens your show is over but um they saw something in it and actually let him do a second try and that second try um got approved and we actually got the series that we know today as star trek with captain kirk and spock and all the rest um so to to just sort of start things off um I would like to talk with you, Mike, since I know that you mentioned that star Trek is such an important, um, series for you. And there might be people listening to this podcast. who may be more familiar with the later star Treks. How would you describe the original star Trek to somebody who isn't very familiar with it?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, it's, you know, where a lot of things, uh, certainly the franchise, if not more than that, uh, has all started, right? The, uh, there's so much that uh, you know. It was was not the case for science fiction and fantasy and even television as we know it uh, before Star Trek. Um, Star Trek really, really was an innovative show. Um, it's a very smart show. Uh, it also is a very hopeful show, as you mentioned. Um, it was a very, very much a way that Gene could talk about uh, issues of the day without. Um, having to worry about, you know, uh, kind of upsetting and, and set it in that, in that day, you know, uh, 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 as far as uh, that time period. They could take issues and, and talk about them in a more fantastic way, um, a more accessible way, uh, show people that uh, different sides of issues and, uh, and, and, and structures that, uh, yeah, that they, they would not have seen on, on normal television at that time. So, um, uh, now, you know, for those people who might be introduced to it now, uh, does it seem dated? Sure. Uh, does it, but, uh, I will say that, you know, because of the, the, the unique vision that, uh, Gene and the other people who made it, not just Gene, but the other people who made it, uh, uh I think it, it kind of holds up still, uh, because it's very, uh, much of, um, like it, you can't, you don't look at it and go, oh, that's just a product of the 60s. It really seems to like set its like it takes place in its own type of universe, its own you know its own environment, so that it it you should be able to watch it whenever and still um still relate to it. I think um, it's got some great characters, although you know from the '60s, you know it's not a show that that uh, has one big story arc or anything like that. They're purely episodic. A lot of times the main characters don't grow. Uh they they, they just are who they are. Uh but um I, I think certainly for those folks who are interested in in science fiction concepts, uh it's a very it's still uh, worth watching.
1: Oh. Yeah. Um and Gary, um what do you think is the appeal of the original Star Trek?
3: Uh it is that optimistic view of the future. It's um that we are going to get through whatever the heck we're going through now and we'll go out into space and do it cooperatively Mm. and occasionally have to kick an alien in the face. Um, (laughs) uh,
1: But never as the first resort.
3: Right. Well, yeah, usually (laughs) no, it is. It's it's an adventure. Uh, the fact that it's an adventure that also teaches you something usually every episode is, Mm. uh, Something that gives it legs. Um, this was actually a point I made about Doctor Who on another uh, podcast, which hasn't come out yet. Uh, but it's, I think it holds true here as well. When you don't have a lot of budget, you have to make up with it with story. And a good chunk of Star Trek, the original series' stories, are still relevant, sometimes sadly still relevant. But they're still relevant and still hold up. And that goes that will carry you past any bad effects. Um, and it's character. It's it's. The, I think that's the third leg of the tri, uh, of the, the tripod. There is that these are some really solid, well written characters that are easy to fall in love with and there's somebody for everybody you know i'm a kirk guy there are spock people there are mccoy people there there are people that just love jenner montgomery scott to death
1: <laughs> uh, you
3: know, so there's someone there for everybody to hang your hook on
1: oh okay i just have to do a little aside here because my daughter so um you know i was preparing for this podcast i was just watching through all the original star trek and Um, my daughter typically doesn't like the same things that I do. And so I just had them all. I just had Star Trek on in the living room. And a lot of times she'll just be playing on her iPad or whatever, not paying attention. And I noticed as I'm watching Star Trek, she starts putting the iPad down more and more and watching what's on the TV. And, you know, suddenly she's like not even playing her iPad anymore and is just watching the show with me. And now to where it's a point where it's like, um... You know she doesn't want me to watch them without her, and so we watched through the oh. whole series. We even yeah. watched through um, just just for an aside for people at home. It's something we're not going to delve into right now. We watched through Star Trek: New Voyages and Star Trek Continues together, also, which are fan projects where they have you know fan actors playing the roles of the characters from the original Star Trek just just so that we could sort of like bide some time before. We moved on to the, the movies because that's going to be another podcast for me. And I didn't want to get too far ahead of my podcasts. Um, so, you know, I mean, talking about age differences and whatever, I mean, my daughter is 11 years old, you know, but Star Trek is still something that appeals to her. She absolutely loves both Spock and Scotty, by the way. Those are her two favorite hmm. characters. And uh, <laughs> she she keeps referring to like the canon pairing as Scotty and the Enterprise.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is an OTP. Yeah, right. The OTP
1: is Scotty and the Enterprise. She didn't like the one where like Scotty had a girlfriend because she was like, he's cheating on the Enterprise.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: and, and her favorite though, she loves trouble with tribbles, not because of the tribbles, but because of the fight scene in the aftermath where like right. Scotty, he didn't he didn't punch the Klingon because he insulted Kirk. He punched him because he insulted the, Enterprise. the Enterprise. Yeah,
4: very nice. <laughs> yeah, think you might want to rephrase what you said
0: there, <laughs> laddie. <laughs> to be honest, I love the fact that that was the reason why he punched him too.
1: Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, and when he has to come clean to Kirk about it, is even the because Kirk's like, oh, okay, you know, like he's kind of like, oh, okay, you. You punched him because he insulted me. I I get it now, and he's like, "No, sir." Like, no, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you told us but to be on our this. best behavior, right? <laughs> then you hit him. Oh,
2: then he said this. <laughs>
1: right. Oh, but um, so Stephanie, um, you know, you're a little bit younger than we are because I think both uh, Gary and Mike and and definitely myself, we we all watched Star Trek before there was another. So, you know, before there was Next Generation or anything else. Um, But I think you came to it a little bit. uh, I I think you watched Next Gen first. Is that right?
0: Yes, it was in it was airing new when I was a little kid. So
1: right, um, so so you came to Star Trek a little bit later. What? How old were you when you uh, when you started watching Star the original Star Trek?
0: Oh boy, I don't even know. Um, I watched the movies actually a lot more than the original series, so that was really my introduction to the uh, original cast, um, and. To be honest, this was the first time I ever watched the original series start to finish. Oh, okay. Um, Every other time. I mean, I've seen every episode before. Like, there wasn't Mm -hmm. a single one where I was like, I don't remember this at all. Um, It's just I never actually watched it consistently. It was just I would catch an episode here, I would catch an episode there. But, yeah, I really got into it watching... Uh, the next generation with my parents like I have some super early memories of being a real little kid Uh, because I think next gen came out when I was only two years old Uh, and I have some really early memories of watching that with my parents in the living room and then I think my grandparents are the ones who were babysitting me once and popped in one of the movies or something and somewhere along the line I actually watched episodes of the original series
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the cool things about Star Trek to me is that when you talk to people, you know, families, you know, back in the 60s, you know, that was one of the things it was family viewing. Right. You know, like everybody sat around, you know, the the parents, the kids, everybody watched it. So like even like, say, my mom, who is not like a big genre fan at all. She watched Star Trek when she was a kid because it's just something the whole family did. You know, they sat around and watched Star Trek. And um, I I think it's cool because, like, Next Gen, I had the same experience as you did. When Next Gen started coming out, my family got together to watch that in the same way. And my parents, having watched the original Star Trek you know they they enjoyed watching Next Gen with us kids because um, uh, I watched the original series during the daytime in syndication, um, so I didn't watch a lot of those episodes actually with my parents in the room, even though they were aware that I was watching Star Trek.
0: Yeah, that's probably the same time I caught the episodes was just random daytime syndication.
1: So, so what do you uh, what would you say is the appeal of the original, especially you coming into it now, watching it for the first time all the way through? Um, what, what would you uh, say is the appeal of the show?
0: Well, it certainly isn't the special effects.
1: <laughs> did you watch the CGI version or the original version?
0: I did. I watched the CGI version this time around. Um, I would say that the appeal is probably just the utopia that it presents. It gives a very optimistic view of what humanity can be. Um, takes away from what I think a lot of people see in a lot of the grittier sci-fi nowadays, where it's almost a dystopia, maybe not quite, but they tend to lean heavier on the uh, the rougher sides of humanity, whereas Star Trek always tried to show the best that people can be. And I think that deep down that is something I think most humans actually do want is for us to be the best that we can be, and Star Trek is definitely a series that went that direction, and um, it, it became kind of a staple of what Star Trek is, which I think we got into on the Discovery uh, podcast as to that was one of the things that was a big critique of Discovery was... It wasn't portraying humans as the best they possibly can be until like the very end of, <laughs> of the uh, first season.
1: Yeah, well, yes, Discovery is interesting because I think, I I think it made it more of a question than uh, a fact or a statement like the like original Star Trek does. But that made it kind of interesting because it was sort of a journey to see like why why do the Federation's ideals matter? But um, but yeah, no, I, I totally get your point. Um, on that, um, yeah, I I agree with that. I agree that people are looking for a hopeful future. At least they don't want to be inundated with nothing but bleak. I like having a mix, personally. Of, oh, of, I do too. Yeah, of of different shows that show both sides of it because I think there's interesting things you can get from the storytelling either way. But yeah, if you uh, yeah. don't
3: mind, I'd like to interject one of my big points about TOS and why I love it the most of all the original yeah, yeah, Star yeah. Trek. That kind of touches on this. Yeah. And I've actually written posts about this, and it, it's one of my big flags. This is part of you know the hill I will die on. Okay, is, is this argument that the thing I love the most about the, the original series is it says a hopeful vision of the future, but at the same time, it's still a struggle. You know, mm-hmm. the, we you know the the big episode is, for me on this is Arena, the one with the Gorn mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Kirk and the Gorn captain fighting the whole time, and at the end. Kirk goes, "No, I'm not going to kill this guy. Yes, we used to be savages. Yes, we still have a savage nature, but I will not kill today." And that, you know, so the struggle is still there that, you know, we are being better. We are better than we were, but used, human nature is still human nature, and what makes it optimistic is that most people are choosing to overcome that, to fight that urge to to fall into barbarism. Uh, to look forward in cooperation. By the time Next Gen comes around, uh, and there's a whole lot of reasons for this. Uh, If you get a chance, there's a documentary on Netflix called Chaos on the Bridge about the making of Next Gen Mm -hmm. that goes into this. But at that point, Roddenberry was like, no, we are perfect now. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, the the Starfleet officers don't argue amongst themselves. They have the best technology. And to me, so that takes a lot of the edge out of it is if that humans are just better as a given and the only conflict is with lesser evolved races, that to me is problem, Mm -hmm. both narratively, dramatically, structurally. Uh, To me, it takes a lot of the heat out of it. If, if everybody being, you know, Captain Picard will never kick a Gorn in the face. It's not even going to cross
1: his mind. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and guys, feel free to jump in as I talk about this, but I mean, one of the things that I think is great about the original series is when they realize that, you know, okay, we have our two stars, we have William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. And when they realize actually this DeForest Kelly guy that we brought in with the second episode, you know, yes. the second one they did, it's actually more like a, a triumvirate. It's more like a threesome. Let's, let's promote him to regular and have it be more about the, the conflict between these three individuals because you have Kirk who's burdened with command, who is the guy that absolutely feels the weight of 430, you know, plus or minus, you know, people on the ship. That 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 their lives all depend on him. You have Spock that's all about we need to use nothing but pure logical reason to decide how we proceed. And you've got McCoy, who's always there to remind about the the human and the emotional side of things as well, that, you know, sometimes the thing that looks good on paper is not the right decision. And sometimes you have to take a risk. You know even though you know the probabilities may be you know not favorable or whatever because it's the right thing to do and so you have these three people set up who all have a great deal of respect and admiration for each other even though McCoy and Spock hate admitting it about each other and yeah.
3: the, well they're very much the I forget the, 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 the first one but it's the human intellect mm. you know there's Kirk who's the, the, the human And then there's Spock who's the intellect and, and, and uh, McCoy is the ego. Mm. It's the three parts of the, of the psyche.
1: Right. And, um, and, and that character, that character study of the three of them is so front and center in so many episodes And it just makes for enjoyable viewing because you, the viewer, get caught up in their discussions and you take sides and everything else. But you can see why people would say the things that they say and do the things that they do. And it's a great way of moving through the story where um, and, and I don't some some other science fiction, let's say, gets focused too much on the technical aspects. And they kind of forget that th- these are these should be you know the technology should just be like an excuse to get us into the cool situation. It shouldn't be like the thing that also you know is the key, the core of the of the problem and the core of the solution. And, and so in this, it's the, always the human element that is the core of the the problem and the solution, even if the technology gets us into a situation. Um, so uh, so so yeah. I mean, do you guys agree with that? Disagree?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think they look. They did a lot of research. Gene and, and everybody did a lot of research on on real because at that time, think about it. At that time, like our space program was so young. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't like it, it, and 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 yet, so no one really knew exactly how space travel was going to work, uh, or so. But they did their research and they tried to get as much technical. But at the end of the day, they had to go. All right, well look, um, we can't have everybody just travel on shuttles because that's going to take too long. So we'll just have invent transporters to get people there, here and there, and and move around that way. Um, and they were still able to manage to use transporters to a wonderful, like, dramatic effect on a lot of multiple different stories and do a lot of fun things with them. Uh, and uh, But you're right. As far as the characters goes, so at the heart of the show... There's those three and, mm. and yeah, I've seen them described and, and, uh, as different aspects of, of, of human, like whether, you know, like I've heard like, you know, obviously Spock's like the, the computer, um, the Kirk is the brain, the decision maker, uh, McCoy is the heart mm. of the ship, uh, that kind of thing. He's like, you know, uh, and, and more emotional, that kind of thing. And, and yeah, it works on that level. But But also, it's really interesting, from the pilot to the second pilot, the only character that makes it through is Spock.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: the only main character that makes it through, and Spock, in a lot of ways, is because he's not human, or because he's only half human and trying to hide his humanity. We get a character who is is telling us on a weekly basis, episode by episode what it means to be human yeah, and the like what you should and should not do to be the best human you can be. And, uh, I think that like really, that's why Spock is probably the most popular character out of the entire star Trek franchise. Yeah. Um, and if you have any doubts about that, he's you he's in he appears in every single one of them. Uh, yes,
1: yeah. he, even
4: it's, even well, the new one. Yeah, Spock
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean Spock was always my favorite and you know Leonard Nimoy's passing hit me far more than most celebrity passings do for that very reason, because Spock was someone that I always looked to as someone who felt like an outsider. You know, I mean, he, he was he, as a as a young person who felt that they were, you know, like uh, you know, didn't quite fit in, and whatnot. Like Spock is the character you gravitate towards, right? So, um, you know, I, I always yeah, he's enjoyed got his... a
3: lot of hooks mm. for people to <laughs> right. hang on to. Yeah, uh, really the is. whole, you know, growing up as an outsider in your own culture, being, you know, trying to fit in in a place. Desperately trying to fit in in a place where you want to fit in, but your own nature struggles against you. Yeah. Parent uh, issues. Trying to yeah. hold. Oh God! Uh, parent issues. Yeah, <laughs> trying to hold
1: your emotions in. You know, even though you feel like you're actually very emotional. Things like that, you know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things I think people can relate to with Spock, which is funny because he's supposed to be the alien character, <laughs>
4: and he's a character that a
1: lot of the 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 the
4: the not uh, the network was nervous about. A lot of the advertisers were nervous about. They were like, "Oh, he's, you've got Satan on your show. You've got a you know." Um, but well, and I think also just the way he was written and everything like that. But look, I mean, we have to give so much credit to Leonard Nimoy for bringing it to life yeah. in a way that. Not we've seen you know over the the past fifty years or so we've seen so many other people play Vulcans and they just don't get it as quite as right as Leonard did when he set the template. Now granted he's half human but still like he, it's just the, his performance like really is outstanding.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he and Mark Leonard I think both do the best Vulcan. Performances that we've seen in the show, but definitely Leonard Nimoy because he had to do it week by week. You know, d- does the does the best. Um, but yeah, oh
3: yeah. yeah, especially Mark Leonard as the. This is what a full-blooded Vulcan is like, mm-hmm. and you know, he's a nice guy, but he's kind of a jerk at the same
1: time. He
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> managed it's, to pull that off very
2: well. <laughs>
1: yes. Uh, now, Stephanie, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk to you while we're talking about the the triumvirate because. Um, we, we had a talk, I don't know, at some point when you were watching through the episodes about Kirk. Because there's sort of a pop culture expectation oh, yeah. of Kirk. That when you watch the series, doesn't quite hold up. And so I, I kind of wanted your take Kirk now having watched through the whole thing in order.
2: Well,
0: it is kind of funny because in pop culture we always think of him as the, the uh, player of the universe. Oh, yeah. um, and I know I have made plenty of jokes myself about how, hap- how Captain Kirk needs to teach all these alien women how to make sweet, sweet love. <laughs>
2: um,
0: and actually when I finally sat down and watched the series straight through... That's not really the case. He's actually a pretty decent stand-up fella. uh, With majority of the times he's swooning some woman, Um, it's usually either he legitimately had some sort of relationship with her, either developing or at some point, or it's unfortunately part of a plot where he just needs to distract her while Spock and McCoy go off and do (laughs) something else. And it was kind of like, I I remember when I got to that turning point in the middle of season three, where everything just starts going downhill,
2: (laughs) um,
0: where you and I were talking about how this is where the pop culture Kirk comes from, (laughs) where suddenly Shatner is talking like this, and he doesn't seem to have any of the... uh, idealism anymore he does become kind of that philanderer of the stars and it it just it's surprising that his character really isn't what is portrayed in pop culture and I I tried mentioning this to my mom and she just rolled her eyes and laughed at me and I was like whatever I'm never gonna get her to watch the whole series again it's a feudal battle here.
1: Um, he's actually a lot more thoughtful, too, than a lot, than, than you know, I mean, because Pine, Chris Pine is sort of like the pop culture Kirk, right? I mean, this is what people think. Is he the guy that, that leaps before he looks? He's just this sort of wild guy that just does what he wants. Kirk... The burden of command is such a big part of so many episodes and the idea that Kirk feels the weight of those lives that he can't be that kind of person. He can't be someone who takes risks lightly because he's always looking at the fact that everyone, all these people depend on me. And so I've got to make the right choice. And and he's well read. You know, I mean, he he's quoting, you know, literature all the time and stuff like that. He, he understands the science well enough to keep up when Spock and Scotty are talking to him about things, you know. So he, he's really more like the, the Renaissance man ideal of a guy that, you know, he's he's got a little bit of the action. He's got a little bit of the, you know, the learning. And, you know, he, he's also, you know, a little bit of a romantic, you know, and all that kind of stuff, you know. So he, he's, he's a much more interesting character than I think people give him credit for. Well, it's Covenant. really... Oh, go- sorry, go ahead.
0: He still does annoy me, though, because he's almost too
3: perfect
0: <laughs> of a renaissance
3: man. Like,
0: it drives me nuts when there's something that even Spock can't handle with his superior strength that is just because he's not human. He's super- He is legitimately superior right. to Kirk. And yet, somehow, Spock still succumbs to this and Kirk manages to overthrow it, especially when they're, like, emotional things that are just Oh, I can't remember what episode it was but there was one episode that I was just like there is no way that Spock fell for this and Kirk didn't and so yeah he still annoys me because he's too perfect of a man. He, he's um, still the
4: star it, of the show.
3: Yeah. yeah he he is a <laughs> 60s action star. There is a certain bit that comes with that
2: mm. um, but
4: definitely.
3: yeah his his reputation has been kind of blown out by I think a lot of it is people, you know, having their own impression of the show from having, you know, not having watched it in a while. They just remember Kirk had a woman of the week. Well, not really, but you know, that was a thing in '60s heroes at the time because you wanted to keep your your lead open for a romantic plot because you know these guest stars aren't going to be here next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, of all people, um, Keith or uh, Candido did a rewatch of original Star Trek in the movies. And a lot of Kirk's reputation is – I don't want to use the word tarnished. Uh, It's shaped by the films because, like you were talking about, Kirk is well-read. He's uh, smart. He he is very much aware of his responsibilities, Um, but when it comes to the the movies – it's like, oh, the cow, that Kirk, he was such a cowboy. But if you go back and watch like, the very first episode, the pilot, Gary Mitchell, is talking about his teaching classes at Starfleet Academy going, in, if in Kirk's class, you think or swim, or, or drowned, You know, uh, so it, it's kind of a, and I think it's a translation of going to being an 80s action star and, well, we need to do this. So, it's really weird how his character gets twisted, in a way. Um, and I'm also going to throw a shout out to Women at Warp. They did a whole episode on is Kirk a womanizing creep and came to the same conclusion of, no, oh, not really.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I just find that really funny because just how, how expectations of, of the character have just been uh, changed around. Um, another thing uh, I can't remember who commented on, it, it was either you, Gary, or, or Mike was talking about the transporter. Um you know, for all that we say about the effects on that show, uh, the transporter effect I think is one of the most amazing things that they did because it works. It works now because it's it's this swirly light that looks you know otherworldly that engulfs the person and they fade away.
4: It's a fantastical effect for something
1: that could can never, I mean, never practically happen. Like right.
4: I mean, it, like the odds of us ever having a transporter ever. Are, are like so far fetched, but yet they. This is this is like the you will believe a man can transport right. moment because it's like it has, it's like oh I buy it because I see I've thought I've, I've seen it on Star Trek it looks so good yeah and it's something yeah, it's all- that we want you know it's like we want
1: this oh yeah I, I would love to cut out my commute to work and just be able to transport over
4: oh yeah that would
1: be <laughs> great
0: oh, I would love to be able to travel back to see my parents without a nine hour
1: drive mm. and- <laughs> yeah that too. Going to an airport. I could go to Dragon Yeah. Con. Oh. yeah. <laughs> go every year. And,
3: and the whole reason they came up with the transporter, Roddenberry said, we couldn't figure out how to land the ship.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little top heavy.
3: Yes.
2: Just <laughs> yeah, a
1: little. But, uh, so yeah, Stephanie, what do you think about the transporter effect? Do you think it holds up?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I still want a transporter, and I've seen variations of it used in more than just Star Trek I mean the Stargate was essentially a transporter of sorts oh, that's true. Um, I don't know it's a great solution to a a obnoxious problem <laughs>
1: right yeah I know it's just that a lot of people give the series flack and I, I still think that that effect you know works whereas yeah okay some of the <laughs> other things the phasers don't necessarily look you know, all that great, and you know some of those effects, but you know. Th- that... Oh, we're
0: talking about the actual way. Yeah, it looks, the way it looks. Functionality. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, the the look actually still was relatively decent, and I mean it was more or less a practical effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously they didn't really have people disappearing, but they did some what? greed and. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's it's <laughs> it's like
1: they're filming Alka Seltzer water, I think it is, and they I they superimpose it. Was glitter
0: it. mixed in with. Fizzy water or something like that. I don't remember.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the the technicalities of it. I thought I heard that it was like Alka Seltzer, but with like especially dyed water, so that it would show up really well and glittery, so that they could superimpose that on the on the person fading away. And the fading away part's easy. I mean, people have been doing that on television. You know, it's well before the '60s. But the the, the... I,
3: I just figured they invented a transporter. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the
1: yeah. Um. Another thing that was really uh, important about this show that I think Mike Gordon commented on is the social commentary. Um, you know, there there was a post, I think, just a couple of days ago on Facebook about how it's the 50th anniversary of the first interracial kiss on television, which was a Star Trek episode, um, when Kirk and Uhura um, were forced by these aliens to to lock lips. And... What's funny is that the network almost didn't let them do it. Um there's a great extra on the uh Blu-ray set where they talk about that and that they basically had to uh you know to do like something like 15 or 16 takes. It was like cause William Shatner kept hamming it up to force Got them it. to take like the dude to do the take with the, with the actual kiss. So um and, and, of course, when Nichelle Nichols tells the story, she's like, yeah, you know, Bill really hated having to kiss me, like, 16 times or whatever, you know, so, you know, but but, yeah, they said, like, they finally got it down to, like, two takes, and it was, like, there was the one where he kissed her. And then there was the one where he didn't kiss her, but, like, he did – I can't remember what they said he did. He did something during that take that made them go, like – He well, did, like, a weird face to the camera. Right, yeah, yeah. that's
0: what I remember, too. A weird face to the camera that just kind of made it unusable.
1: Right. So they're like, all right, we got to go with the with the one where he kisses there," Because, you know, the actors realize that's this – fly Sly Shatner. Yeah. I'll ruin all takes so I don't kiss her. Um. Yeah, because they realized that it was stupid for them to argue about this. The script said that he kissed her, and there shouldn't have been a, you know an issue about it. So it's nice that even on that level, not only were the writers on board with the social commentary, but the actors were all for it, too, and, uh, and got stuff like that pushed through. Um, yeah, which is one of the things that...
3: that drives me up the wall sometimes is I'll hear... Someone decrying like the latest iteration of Star Trek. It was. It happened at Next Gen. It happened on Voyager. It happened in the new movies. Like, why is Star Trek dying to be political? It's like, have you seen the show? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: I always laugh when I see that same type of commentary. I'm like, really? Were we watching the same show all along here?
4: Just about the kiss. I mean, Roddenberry didn't think it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I mean, when it was written, it wasn't a big deal. But it was only a big deal because of the you know it only became a big deal because of the networks and everything and i just uh you know it's just one of the things about gene you know and there's a lot of pluses and minuses to gene as a person but uh i think one thing we can say is that it was important for him not only um you know to make a buck but it was important that represent like we see we hear it all the time now right representation matters Mm -hmm. well for like in 1966, for Gene Roddenberry, representation matters. Which I'm not saying he was a pioneer in terms of it's not the first show, but it was it was important to him, and uh, I think that is to be commended. You know.
1: Well, I mean, it was the first show to have a regular, uh, uh, a person, a female person of color on right, the so show. So much
4: so that you know, because her her character wasn't doing much, you know, the was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther King himself said, "You can't leave because because you know representation matters." And yeah. she was like, "Okay, I'll stick around." You know.
3: Yeah. And there's a famous story from Whoopi Goldberg who, who saying that you know she was a little kid and seeing Star Trek on the television and running to her mother and going, "Mama, Mama, there's a black woman on TV and she ain't no maid." Mm-hmm. And at the time,
4: you know, putting Walter Koning as a Russian having a Russian character in it was very controversial. Yeah. Like yeah, I, it was they, had to, they had to Everest. make him look like one of the monkeys to get him like, to right. <laughs> get allow the, the, the network to, to like actually say, okay, because it was I mean, at that time we were not friends
3: mm. with the
2: road.
1: Well, I think just having it, you know, 20 years after world war two and having George Takei there front yeah. and center on the bridge. Also, I, I don't think that that was something that, uh, you know, um, you know, people were doing uh, that often having, uh, you know, an, an Asian man on on a series as a regular or not as a re- I mean, I guess he wasn't every episode, but he was a semi regular. And uh, no I mean, that's the thing. They weren't none it. of them were like, you know, they
4: weren't the main cast. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't, you know, they 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 just but they were there. You know? right. And, 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 and you... even the other and even the other people in the background were there. Like it just and even some of the other Starfleet officers that we met, you know, um, uh, some of the other captains. Uh, were different races and different colors and everything like that, and it's just, you know, as far as Gene and the, that staff was concerned, they were just pretty much
1: colorblind. Well, yeah, there was a Commodore fairly early on who was a black man. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. and that's that outranks Kirk, you know, so, I mean, yeah, Gene was showing that you know, in the future, it didn't matter.
3: Nope. Yeah, if you go back to, like, even the very first episode, if you look in the background, it's very uh, diverse. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people who didn't like that, and it's like, There are some people who said, well, you know, there are people who say, well, they could have had more. It's like, no, for the time, (laughs) that was a statement.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. And touching back to Chekhov, he was there because the Russians went, oh, uh, had the Russian response to Star Trek was, oh, there are no Russians in the future. They put Chekhov in there. And you want to make a statement of eventually we will make friends with our enemies.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think having both Sulu and Chekhov on there to Sulu to show, you know, we've, we've healed the rifts of the past. You know, and then check off the current rifts that we have. You know, now will also pass. So mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was. I mean, it's it's a great show for that because there's no distinction. You know, there's no there's no difference they, they're all humans, and that's you know how they how they look at each it's other. A spot right? Yeah. It's a, when you
4: <laughs> pass forward to next generation, they're like, "Ooh,
1: what do we do to show that?" Oh, we better put a cling mm-hmm. on on
4: on the bridge.
3: Yeah, and that was a throwback to the episode of the Organians where they said, "I see in the future your two races working together." Which that episode was again a statement on the Cold War. Mm-hmm. There were that, that is something also I I love in the original series that kind of fell away is you know it was like almost every. Every fifth or sixth episode, oh, it's a godlike being with super super power, big powers. The next year is like, nah, we'll just just cut it down to the one. We'll have the one guy.
1: The interesting thing to me is if you look at the first pilot, the one where they had Captain Pike, there's a lot of women. You know, it's, they're all, I mean, it's mostly white people on the ship, you know, in that version. But, the, the, you know, you have the first officer who's a woman, and you have a couple other, you know, prominent female characters. That
3: actually was also something else that came down from the studio, mm-hmm. and I wanted to mention this earlier. When they did, they were going to redo the pilot, and they, the studio told, um... Gene, you can keep the woman or you can keep the alien. You can't keep them both.
1: Right. And DC Fontana mentioned in one of the the Blu-ray uh, interviews that it was actually, even in the test audiences, the women hated number one. They were like, where is this woman getting off? You know, like being so bossy and stuff. And so that's the reason wow. why they decided that she was the one that they were going to get rid of is because she did not test well and that people you know didn't gravitate towards that character and so i mean it's interesting because Jean wanted to make a a gender equality statement too
0: well what's real interesting about that is it also shows the times Mm -hmm. considering the fact that she was coming across to other women as real bossy and personally i loved her she was just a a woman who was asserting her agency and being the second in command there was nothing bossy or bitchy about her she just was that
1: role. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And I am so happy that she's going to be on Discovery season 2. I'm looking forward to what they do with her. Yeah. Me but too. That's another podcast. Right, that's that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it really is a, to to look at the tone as well of the pilot uh, with Captain Pike is much more high-minded, much more serious, much more cerebral. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to consider what Star Trek would have been like if they had stuck with that tone and, and with
1: Pike. No, no, I, I wonder that too. Like how would the show have been different with as a Pike led series, but, and, and it's, and it's hard to judge based just on a um, pilot because shows always evolve. I mean, even the, the show that we got wasn't, it, it changed quite a bit after that first pilot. Or that second, I'm sorry, the second pilot, the pilot with Kirk.
3: And they were building the whole universe every episode. That's one of the right. things I actually like about watching the first season is watching Starfleet develop, watching this world, universe the way they're going, oh, we better do this, oh, we better do that. Well, it's
1: funny because if you watch it in order, they call it the Earthship Enterprise for most of this first season. It's not until, like, towards the end of the first season, they realize, actually, let's call this a federation and say that they're actually part of this group with other aliens. And then that helps us explain Spock's presence and everything else. And, you know, like, because, yeah, they made it sound like they're basically like just like an Earth organization. You know, and and uh, and and aren't part of some United Federation of Planets, and, and then they kind of like retroactively, kind of like merge that in and say, oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's a federation where. <laughs> We're part of the United Federation of Planets. that We've always been, right? Uh, but, uh, but it's one of those things that, you know, because I think a lot of us have watched it in syndication for years, even if you did watch it in its original run at some point, you know, that, that we kind of forget that because you watch the episodes randomly there. They never put them in any kind of order in syndication. It's always just like, you know, whatever episode. And so uh, you, don't, you don't get a feel for that. Um, so I, th- I found that interesting when I watched it. I actually like to watch it in production order now instead of air date order. Um, because I think you see that evolution better because even in the production order, they, or I'm sorry, in the air date order, they showed them fairly randomly. Um, mm-hmm. But then you get weird stuff like suddenly they're wearing, like, the Pike-style uniforms and then they go back to the normal ones. And, you know, you have suddenly Uhura's in a green costume instead of a red one for an episode. And if you watch them in production mm-hmm. order, you see that it actually makes, it makes a little more sense because they start out in the Pike-style uniforms – because that makes sense. It's the first one after Pike. And then Yeah, and then Kurt gets that rap, which is cool. Right. And then the first one through Hora, she has the green uniform, but everyone after that she has the red one. And so, you know, it, it kinda and then you get more of that stuff also with the world building where you can tell like how they're building it because, you know, you you, you can tell as they're progressing through their scripts that they're, you know, kinda changing things up. Yeah, I just watched other...
0: it in the Netflix order. Right, that, that would be
1: the air date order. <laughs>
0: I figured it would, I had easily available.
3: <laughs> one, of, one of my other favorite bits about that is the fact of the, the talking about the way things change. Kirk's uniform originally was green,
2: mm-hmm. but
3: that's because they were, and, but it comes across as yellow, mm-hmm. because they had done this greenish tinge makeup to Spock in the first few episodes to make him look more alien, but the guys who were doing the color transfer went, why is this guy coming out green? So they shifted it, <laughs> and it actually shifted Chatner's uh, sh- uh, the the shirt from the green to the yellow because they were taking the green out. Mm,
1: that makes sense.
3: So I love little details like that. It's like that's.
1: See, the thing is, I got used to the production order because the uh, DVDs that I had from way back, this is before they even did season sets, where it's just like two episodes on a DVD. Though those were in production order. So that's how I got used to watching it. Now, like when they do the season sets, they do them in air date order, and I'm like, I don't like this. So I just go back to watching it in production <laughs> order. But uh, um, let's talk about uh, some of the minor characters or I shouldn't say minor character, but the the non stars, because we talked about the triumvirate and we touched a little bit on them, just saying like you know, like like what they represented. But uh, um, Stephanie, for you, who's one of your favorite characters who isn't one of the main three?
0: Um, shoot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I didn't think there was that many to choose from. <laughs> I
0: mean, I absolutely adored how Chekhov was always like in Mother Russia yeah. this, in Mother Russia that.
1: <laughs> yes, he did become a little bit of a stereotype, didn't he?
0: <laughs> he did, but it was—I, I mean, I'm not a Russian person, so maybe I can't speak to this. But I thought it was done kind of charmingly, <laughs> mm-hmm. where he wasn't just like. It was like he was very proud of his heritage. And so he was always relating it back to where he comes from.
1: Right. And everything was invented in Russia and the Russians did everything first.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was actually kind of charming and endearing and considering the fact that he was supposed to be very fresh out of the academy too, it did also kind of play to him being very young and naive.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, they were definitely poking a little bit of fun at the Soviet Union that did like to make a lot of assertions that they had done everything first and whatnot, and in some cases that was deserved and some it wasn't, but uh, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Overall, I thought Chekhov was a very charming character, and maybe I also have a little bit of bias because I love Walter Koning as Bester, mm. um, but that's another show and another sci-fi, and, <laughs> right. you know. Uh, <laughs>
1: well, he was brought in to be the adorable male character, you know, for the younger girls, yeah. so, yeah.
2: So,
0: the whole pause where I was thinking, I was like, I don't really think Chekhov is, but he's the only one I can think of right now, so I guess I'm going to go okay. with Chekhov.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, Mike, what about you? What is one of your favorite of the non-star characters?
4: Well, before I, uh, you know, we talked about, at length, about Kirk and Spock, but we really should uh mentioned that you know mccoy is just as important you're um, right it, it, he doesn't you know obviously uh doctor doesn't get as much to do or he's not uh as prevalent in i mean it's really mostly the the kirk and spock show right mm-hmm. but mccoy is there he's usually the you know the the guy who's kind of the the straight man there um, and you know, serves as a, uh, a counterpoint to Spock in a lot of cases. But he doesn't. So he doesn't get to shine of his own as a character. I think that often. But when he does, uh, I think you know, uh, DeForest is just brilliant. And in some ways, he might be the best actor of them all. Mm. Um, he's just because uh, he just gives this sort of um, uh, accessibility to Bones that none of the other characters, I feel like, do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I really want to give a shout-out to to uh, DeForest for that performance. Um, yeah, one of
1: the things that I... Oh, just really quick, just to comment on DeForest. Um, one of the things that I got from the, from the Blu-ray extras was that he had actually wanted to be a doctor, um, but he couldn't afford going to medical school, so he went into acting. And so he's always said that the reason that he loved playing mccoy so much was because it allowed him a chance to be a doctor so i yeah i thought that that was really nice story about you know him and and how he connected with the character so
0: well also kind of going off of mccoy um i remember during this rewatch uh i i think nathan you started it that that post about naming your favorite characters from various series and such, and you gave me the original, or no, you gave me Star Trek in general, mm-hmm. and you were surprised that Isaac McCoy on my list of, like, top five favorite Star Trek characters, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember you saying that you were surprised to see him there, and honestly, so was I, <laughs> but uh, <laughs>
2: that
0: was something that came about in this particular rewatch that I had never really... I, I had never really given McCoy much of a thought, um, and in watching through it again now, there was just something. He is my favorite character from the original series. Now, no question about it, um, he's the only character who ended up on my list of top five favorites from all of Star Trek too, um, and it partly is. Due to the fact that he did a great job of presenting that character that was kind of cantankerous, but you still saw that he was a caring, very human individual in there. And knowing that this was uh, his opportunity to kind of be the doctor he always wanted to be just kind of makes that a little bit more genuine
4: and he's uh you know i mean kirk has tons i mean, almost every episode is a kirk episode like spock mm-hmm. had there's a number of episodes that are quote-unquote spark episodes you can really like you know the the mccoy episodes are like just barely a handful um but, but they're I think,
3: so good right the world uh, is hollow but i've touched the that's sky.
4: exactly what i was going to mention gary for the world is hollow like Like, I remember I was watching that episode, and Michelle, who watches Star Trek with me occasionally, she she digs it. She's not as into it, nearly as into it as I am, but, you know, but she had never seen that episode, and, you know, so she, like, it was kind of doing something, and then uh, noticed and got pulled in more and more to that episode, and by the end, she's in tears, Um, and that's not even one of the episodes that's known for being one of the top best episodes, but, really if you're a McCoy fan that's like
1: almost the, the, that's almost number one right yeah I mean McCoy also I think has the best sense of humor of any of the characters in Star Trek and just the way that he smiles about things that are going on kind of laughs and you know some of the things that he does he, he's a very I don't know he, he's he's a very likable character um, in that regard, I think part yeah. of
3: his degree was—I think—in his medical degree, he majored in sarcasm and minored in sass. <laughs>
0: I'll believe it. So, uh,
4: so yeah, I wanted to make sure we gave him some equal time yes. to the other guys. Uh, but uh, as far as the the other crew members, uh, look, I, I, you know, I, 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 man, you know, especially on the rewatch. Sulu just mm. he has so many through the they're sprinkled out. I mean, he again, he never has an episode devoted to him. None of the others really do. Uh except for, you know, um uh actually uh Scott does uh, a few times. Mm. Um Scotty does. But um but Sulu has these like really cool moments every once in a while like in like like suddenly, you know, He's he, like he's shirtless and he's like fencing with everybody. I'm like, <laughs> Whoa, where did that come from? And uh they're just like, they're like and yet in like I think more than some of the others uh, uh um he's given the con like he's like you know mm-hmm. he's in charge a little bit and i think that you know i mean george did a great job with that character as well
1: yeah what i really like about that episode the naked time when he's uh you know going uh well he's drunk basically it's the disease that makes the act drunk and he's fencing is that they didn't put a katana in his hand you know and have him <laughs> run around like a samurai well
3: and that was because of George. Mm-hmm. They originally wanted him running around as a samurai, and he's like, "No, I grew up playing Robin Hood. Right. Let me fence."
1: Right, and I think that makes a better statement anyway, because you know, in the future, it's like. We should just be able to pick what cultures we're interested in. We shouldn't, it shouldn't matter, you know, what your ethnicity is or whatever. So I kind of like that, that it's like, yeah, Sulu's an Asian man, but, you know, what he's interested in is, you know, uh, swashbuckling and fencing. You know, I mean, it's yeah.
0: complete opposite of uh, Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Yeah.
4: Yeah. He's got some. Like if you look at Chekhov's, like greatest hits uh, through the course of the season, it's usually because he's getting in trouble.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: if you look at Sulu's greatest hits, it's because like he's doing something like amazing. Right. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I and they're they're sprinkled throughout. I think he's only got like a handful, but um, I, I think you know I think he just does a great job. So
1: yeah. Well, and I mean they made him the fourth in command of the ship, basically after Kirk, Spock, and Scotty. You know yep. he's the guy, so you know, and and several yep. times because Scotty's doing something in engineering and he has to stay down there. You know, Sulu's in charge. You know, when Kirk and Spock are off, so um, you know, it's 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 good that he gets uh, you know he gets that showcase for you know command.
4: Yeah, if I, when I was if I was young, like when I was younger, I think I would have answered that question with Scotty. Mm-hmm. But now, like certainly during this past rewatch, uh,
1: it was really Sulu that stuck out. Sure. Uh and Gary, what about you? What's uh, one of the non-star characters that you'd like to talk about as one of your favorites?
3: Uh I want to talk about either and I've I've got two and I've decided to go with uh Nurse Chapel. Okay, yeah. I mean, she was an excellent foil for McCoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, her fascination with Spock was just delightful. (laughs)
1: Well, Uh, And according to my mother, this was indicative of the way women felt in general. (laughs) Yes. That that was going to be my point. There were a lot of women that were really into Spock. So she was
3: like, uh, she she gave them an outlet. Uh, But, you know, she was smart. She was confident. She was capable. She didn't take any guff from anybody. Um, There were a few villains that were in the sickbay. She would backtalk them. Um, I thought I, I love her and I love the fact that you know it's major Barrett getting you know okay we I can't you know we can't make you number one so we're gonna put you in, in the sick bay. Yep
1: yeah no and and it's sad because in the beginning it seemed like they were giving her a bigger role you know in the in the first season she, she's got a few episodes like the one where they go visit her uh boyfriend who's who's found the android conversion process and all right. that and there's you know of course uh a muck time when she's got a pretty good role with spock there and everything and it's like but towards the end of the series like her her appearances peter out pretty starkly and you barely see her anymore
3: um, well, once you hit midpoint, season two, and especially season three, if you're not Kirk, Spock, or McCoy, it's kind
1: of right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's
3: sort they of vote, like later. They, yeah, they had to devote a bunch of time to Chekhov, and yeah,
4: mm-hmm. so yeah. that it does
3: the
1: dynamic does change. Yeah. yeah,
3: it's sort of like the later seasons of Next Gen. If it's not a Picard episode, it's a Data episode.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, I guess I'll take Scotty then, uh, since no one else did. And uh, <laughs> it seems odd for me to say that because I thought for sure someone else would get to Scotty first. But uh, I love Scotty. Um, James Doohan um, also mm. does such a great job making Scotty instantly likable. The whole idea of the engineer that just loves engineer, You know, like, that's all that he wants, right? He just wants to be working on that ship. You know, and that's, you know, it, it makes him happy. Yeah. <laughs> there's no place you'd rather be than a Jeffrey right exactly <laughs> <laughs> and and you know I mean in next gen you know I kind of in some ways I'm kind of disappointed they made him say it outright but just the uh, you know the stuff that you always knew like you know he always says like oh something's impossible it's impossible captain you can't do it I kind yeah, right. of physics. but he always figures out a way and in next gen he's kind of just be is like oh yeah just lie to the captain just makes it tell him it's gonna take five times as long as it's really gonna yeah, take yeah. and I'm like I don't like that as much I like the idea that you know Scotty really you know is like just flying by the seat of his pants and just working it out as he does it you know and uh well,
4: that's the the problem in in the movies mm-hmm. and i love the movies they do a lot of great character development especially with kirk and spark mm-hmm. and mccoy even but with scotty man they just totally make him a uh, like a joke, like a like a humorous character. Like I know this ship like the back of my hand. Donk, like it, like I'm like that's not Scotty. Don't do that to him. Um, no. So Although yeah, he does he's... get
3: that great moment in uh, three. is like the where he takes out the Excelsior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it,
4: it's still, it's like yeah, he's used mainly mo- mainly as a as comedic relief in the movies. Which yeah, in the series, he's you know much much cooler. And you really feel bad for him because when when I don't know for some reason whenever he's at the uh, on the con like you know Spark and McCoy and, and Kirk are doing their own thing on the planet and he's in charge, man. Sometimes he's really sweating. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what to do. Do I leave the captain behind or do I like what am I gonna do? Like I don't.
3: Like, yeah, he's really sweating it up there. Right. He's sweating. He's also a lot more um, hard nosed. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I'd agree with that. Like,
3: I will blow you out of the sky. But but he's
1: another one. He, 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 along with McCoy, I think, had the best senses of humor on the show. And especially like, uh, you know, like in Trouble with Tribbles when it's like, you know, Scotty, you didn't. You know, like, oh no, Captain No. I I transported them over to the Klingon ship. You know? And it's just like you know, just the way he delivers the lines. Right. Just the way he delivers the lines and the way he pauses and looks kind of awkward or sheepish as he's saying things and then it's just kinda but then the pride that he has, you know, like The Klingons are going to have a long time cleaning those things out of their hold or whatever, you know. So, um and the beautiful thing about
3: that is the way it bounces between
1: him, McCoy, and Spock
3: going, "No, no, it was actually Mister Scott." called right. well, Mister <laughs> Doctor McCoy actually suggested this. Right. Yeah, but Scotty, you're the one who right. Right. first.
1: Is going, Do it, tell me just what you did. Team effort so uh, so yeah i I love scotty i think scotty is hilarious but i also think that james doohan um you know brought brought some real like i don't know he brought something to the role that like i don't think any other actor you know would be able to do where he made him both both lovable and fun but you can also believe him as a competent serious engineer um so i i thought that that was I, i thought i think that he's a great character
4: And he's the only male wearing a red shirt that lasts like through the whole damn season.
1: (laughs) Although, to be fair, (laughs) to be fair, that red shirt thing, the thing is, security's (laughs) color was red. So, yeah, security guards keep dying, and that's why that whole red shirt thing. You know, becomes a thing. It has nothing to do with the the color. It's the fact that it's all those security guards keep dying. It,
4: it was a definitely a weird. Like I did like it in later. You know, next generation where they seem to the color scheme seem to make more sense for mm-hmm. the departments because mm-hmm. the colors don't really make too much sense <laughs> in 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 the in the original series. But yeah.
3: Yeah, and I think we also can't we would be remiss without mentioning Scotty drinking the Andromedan guy oh, under the table. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. It's it's, it's cream.
2: green. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very fun scene. Yes.
3: The way he cries over having to crack open that scotch. Yes. <laughs> it's like I've been saving this.
1: <laughs> yep. Oh Scotty. Um but uh I wanted to talk about favorite episodes too. Um we don't have time to do more than one per, but uh but uh yeah, let's just go through like uh what your favorites are. So Gary, let's start with you. What what is an episode you'd hold up as your you know, I mean if you have more than one just pick one, uh, your favorite Star Trek episode.
3: Doomsday Machine, no contest. Oh, okay.
1: Why Doomsday Machine?
3: Um it's a great allegory for nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. It's a great character study it's a It's one of the episodes that shows us that you know not everybody is as good in Starfleet as Kirk, but there's also really great acting in there from we, um, uh, William Wyndham as Matt decker um and the just the way he breaks when he's talking about what happened to his crew um and just that the way uh they play with Kirk's intelligence and the way with regulations. Uh, you know, the back and forth between McCoy and Spock and McCoy going, you need to throw him out of command. And Spock's going, I can't until you give me a reason. And it's got one of my favorite moments of all time is when they're getting ready to, to ram uh, the Constellation down the doomsday machine and they have to beam Kirk out. And it's and this the thing's blowing up and Scotty's working on it like mad. And Kirk just like, uh, gentlemen, any right. No, I would be good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's 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 tense, It's it, it will keep you on the edge of your seat, and like I said, it's, it's just for me, it's one I always go back to, when I just like, I want to watch some Star Trek, let's throw Doom's Damage.
1: Yeah, do you think Decker's just not as good as Kirk, or do you think that's just like the man broke because of what happened? I mean, his crew was slaughtered.
3: I think he broke, and to be fair, Kirk would probably break similarly, mm-hmm. the, the way he feels about his crew but i think he might recover better
1: yeah and that's i mean that's that's a fair thing i'm just like yeah because i mean that situation is is just is just difficult you know i'm not sure it's yeah. a commentary on decker per se and just like the fact that you know that they're all dead you know and he survived and the guilt
3: yeah and not only are they dead he had to listen to them screaming mm. As they were, as as the planets being torn apart, and he can't beam them back up, and they're going, "Please get us out of here," and he can do nothing but sit there and listen to them die.
1: That's heavy. Yeah. No, no, I'd agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyone else have anything to say about the Doomsday Machine? Ah, oh, so good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I love the fan theory that um, someone came up with, and I think Roddenberry kind of backed it. And they did a, a Peter David wrote a novelization, mm. or it wrote a novel, a next gen novel, that the the Doomsday Machine was designed to fight against the Borg.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yep, I'm trying to remember the name of that novel, but I can't remember. I think Vendetta. Yeah, I am too. Is it Vendetta? Uh, Vendetta. Yeah.
3: Yeah, because yeah,
1: right. one of Guinan's race starts, Guinan yeah, bubble. one of Guinan's race sets loose more Doomsday machines to, yeah, to fight the Borg, yep. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one, that was a really good one. Yeah, that would have been a much better movie than. Oh, right.
2: <laughs>
1: be- oh yeah, yeah.
0: I think I know where you were going. Yeah, any
1: of Peter David's novels would have made a better movie than than I think any of the next gen movies we got. But anyway, um, I
3: would give up body parts for Q and right.
1: <laughs> I like Q squared a lot better. Um, mm. But uh, but uh, yeah, Mike, uh, what would be an episode you'd hold up as your favorite episode?
4: I, I mean, I, I, this is like a tough one because I, I knew you were going to ask mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I'm like, please give me 20. No. Uh, um, that's just so... What's
3: the life like, of new drama? 78 episodes, 30 good ones?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really depends on my mood. Um, but I will say one that I go back to a lot. Uh, probably I've seen... I, I might have seen it more than any of the others. I mean, on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there are some that just happen to be on and i just like, oh, I've seen this one. <laughs> right. um, Spectre of the Gun. Uh, Why are but, you
1: always on? By new... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's,
4: yeah. That is kudos when I go, like, really? That was <laughs> it again. Uh, uh, with Next Generation, it's always Tim uh, I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> like, <laughs> um so uh but for me it's a balance of terror Mm. Mm. so good oh such a good like uh i mean i know it's just basically like you know a submarine u-boat type you know uh story but the performance by mark leonard as the romulans uh it sets the tone for romulans and i don't even think we'd seen Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't even think we'd seen Klingons at this point. So this is like the first time we're seeing like a major race against like the Federation. Um, You've got um, it's a little like, you know, since its first season, you've got some definite like prejudice, racism on the bridge of the Enterprise, Mm -hmm. which you never see ever again. Uh, You also see a chapel, which you never see ever again on the Enterprise. Um, but uh, I think it 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 between the drama that's going on in this space battle between two captains, uh, you've uh, and it's maybe one of the reasons why I like Star Trek II a lot. It, it's a uh, to me this one is almost as much of a prequel to Star Trek II as Space Seed is, um, it, it, because you've got this this conflict between two two characters that are never in the same room together.
1: Well, you also get the uh, whole thing where they're trying to get the Romulan ship to go through like the contrail of a comet, which is kind of like the nebula oh, yeah. fight, you know. And so they they there yeah, there's some definite parallels between those, yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um And and, and I can back your uh, assertion there like it is it, it's the 14th episode, ninth production episode and was before we see the Klingons.
4: Yeah, that's what I thought. So, um and you know, and, in, and, in, in, you know, you get the racism stuff, which is compelling. And then you also, you know, I, th- I feel like it's a very strong, obviously, you know, because of his strategy, it's a very strong Captain Kirk episode, but you know, the end where, you know, he has to, uh, sort of, uh, comfort the ensign mm. that just, that he just married him, you know, like, like it's just, it's so emotional and, uh, And, and really like just always,
1: uh, I always love watching it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's one that I really love also. And again, it's just the performances are so strong. And the thing is they do such a great point counterpoint to show that Kirk and the Romulan commander are basically the same, Yep, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're both just following their orders. They're both trying to protect their own people and do what's right by them. And you know it's 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 so cool, you know, like how they do that to show like although we are enemies, we are enemies because our governments make us enemies, and yeah, he's like, I think he says at the end, like you know if it were if things were different, you and I would be
4: buds, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah, i mean i'm not that's not right. <laughs> i don't I don't think the I don't think the Romulans have ever used the word <laughs> right. you totally be my <laughs> homie <holy> dude. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We go out for I, I, I don't know the Romulan woman in that one episode really wanted to be uh, Spock's bud. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: all
4: good. What's up, bro? No, <laughs> oh, she wanted Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's just, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. So
1: uh, that one I'll point out is uh, one of my, my One of the things that I really like now is watching the original series with the hindsight of the later continuity and so a lot of people get bent out of shape if there are cloaking devices before this episode, but one of the things that I'm going to point out, they do mention that the Romulans have an invisibility screen, they never say this is the first time we've seen it what's throwing everybody in that episode is the new plasma weapon that the Romulans are using and everybody is freaking out about about that weapon so mm-hmm. that's the thing I yeah. think a lot of people remember this episode wrong And think that they're freaking out Because of the cloaking device they, they don't Freak out they just say oh it's an invisibility screen they, they don't say if they've seen one Before or not it's the weapon they're like this weapon is yeah. so devastating it is insane, you know. The...
3: It's when Spock walks in with that piece of metal and goes this is exo, you know, unobtained right. the strongest known metal in the universe and he crushes right. it. In his hand.
1: Right, cuz they're like destroying star bases in a few hits. So, you know, it's it's a big deal, but um, yeah, so
4: It's it's also an episode that's always mentioned by continuity freaks too right. because according to this, like canon, boom, this episode, this is the first time Like, anybody from the Federation ever sees what the Romulans look like. And yet, we have tons of, now, episodes of stuff that happened prior to this where, oh, that's what a Romulan looks like. Here's a Romulan. I've seen a Romulan. This is a Romulan. Like, it just, like, undermines this episode. Yeah,
1: no, that that part, yeah, it's not... I can't work around that one, but I can work around the cloaking device part, if they see that before.
3: Well, and, that, and I think that's also just a nature of the later shows, is they always want to go back and mine the original yes. series to do things. Like, there's an episode of um, Enterprise... Where they go back to Earth and something, and the Borg are there, but yep. because they don't actually realize they're the Borg, it's like, oh, it's the Borg, and we all go, it's the Borg. But they're like, they, well, also, see the, they also
4: see the Ferengi for the, like, like you know, and they also encounter the Ferengi at one point, and I'm like, no,
1: stop doing this. Right.
0: <laughs> and right now, I am trying really hard to hold in my rage.
1: Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that one, Bethany. <laughs> we'll get to it later. Um, d-
0: yes, I'll save it. D- for that. D- did
1: you have anything you wanted to say about Balance of Terror? No. Okay, <laughs> we've been geeking out over here. <laughs> All right, so, um, um, so Stephanie, what would be uh, an episode that that you really uh, enjoyed? Uh, well,
0: I I was going to go with Balance of Care, oh, but
1: well, I'm sorry, but
0: now I guess I'm going to go with I don't know Spock's brain. Oh, God. Or-
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, is that a serious that choice
2: <laughs>
0: no that is most definitely not a okay. serious choice oh come on No, one
1: oh, you really really liked from when you from when you watched it through
0: um well as you guys were talking about that i was frantically scrolling through the dmb like <laughs> the, the DMB, the imdb like mm. oh crap what's another episode what's another episode sure uh, if
4: I'd known, um, i would known i would have picked like there are at least five <laughs> others i could have picked
0: i'm sorry about that and I was going to go with Metamorphosis, but then Nathan, you mentioned the Enterprise incident, and suddenly I remembered that hmm. one. And it's right after Spock's brain. Okay. But uh, I, I actually really did like that one for how uh, how they played upon a little bit more deceit than we normally would see in the original series of Star Trek with uh, Kirk pretending to be going mad and...
1: Well, and Spock pretending that he's, like, uh, falling in love with the Romulan commander and is like, hey, becoming a Romulan officer sounds good to me.
0: (laughs) And then we end up with Kirk actually going um, undercover as a Romulan Mm -hmm. and how that somehow manages to go off pretty (laughs) well at first. Like, it took a surprisingly uh, long amount of time for him to be discovered there. I think that was just an episode that was a little bit different than many of the other ones. Plus, it was one of the first times where we actually get a uh, a woman commander, even if she is a Romulan. Um, <clears throat> so, I guess maybe just being a woman myself, it was kind of fun to have that in there. But, yeah, I I had most of my thoughts prepared for oh, episode God, so
1: i'm trying to really quickly cover <laughs> okay. my butt here <laughs> but no that's a good one i i, I that, that's an early season three when they they still did some good ones in season three yeah
0: before it went kind of like uh yeah, okay this is getting difficult to watch now that was yeah, it followed Spock's brain, which was probably one of the most <laughs> difficult episodes in the entire series.
4: Yeah, that's that's my that's my pick for the lowest point. If we're if we're if we're going with the lowest yeah. point, that to me is oof.
3: That See, I always I always put Cat's a... Paw as the lowest
2: mm, point
3: for me. That's oh another. man, I
4: love oh, Cat's mm. Paw. That' yeah, or turn about. It's the intruding. first time we see someone from the Q
1: continuum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for people who are listening to this and don't know what we're talking about with season three and whatnot, so what happened with Star Trek is that for the network canceled Star Trek after the second season, and it was because of a letter writing campaign that they uh, ended up reversing that decision and renewing it for a third season. But what they did is they took it from Monday at eight o'clock. Which was a, a good time slot for a show like Star Trek because it was an all ages show, so parents were watching it, kids were watching it, whatever. And they moved it to Friday at ten o'clock for season three.
3: Wasn't it? It wasn't it up against something like I Dream of Genie or
1: something? Um, I don't know what it was up against, but what I know is that it was late. It was late on a Friday night, basically, when most late teens, early twenties, which was their main audience, were off, you know, partying and doing stuff. And you know, little kids weren't staying up that late to watch it. And so you know it was killing their basically the network did it as a killing move to make sure that they canceled the show. And what happened was Roddenberry like basically like like based like went off the like they said like he wasn't even on the set anymore for the third season. yeah,
0: he totally right. like out- he started working on new <laughs> no. shows
1: you know new ideas new concepts and so like his presence was no longer there he wasn't i don't know what level he oversaw scripts or whatever but like he divorced himself from a lot of it and dc fontana was basically there to you know be like the one like you know uh, the day-to-day stuff uh so so like a lot of roddenberry's like influence like left the show with season three and so what happens then is you've still got some great writers writing for the show so we still get a few good ones in there but then there are some episodes where it's like someone really should have been supervising this guy and at some point told them, like, no, this concept, no, <laughs> or or greatly change it. So um, the third season gets a lot of flack for that reason. But
4: yeah, well,
3: well, they, and they know, also know, slashed the
1: budget. Yeah. They're, they're, it's
4: it's not it's no coincidence that Fred Froberger also did the second season of Space 1999, you know, cool, so. Yeah. It's like, oh, everything is action and gun and alien-oriented. Like, yeah, it's... Well, and the
1: actors um, even mentioned that they knew that being moved to Friday at 10 o'clock was a killing move. So once they knew that that had happened, like, a lot of them started, like, not putting in as great a performance either, because they were kind of depressed, knowing that the show was over. And that's when
0: we got Shatner talking (laughs) with all these random pauses.
1: well, and that's when
4: you get, I mean, really, the, the stuff between Shatner and Nimoy and the scripts and arguing yeah. and all that kind of stuff separately and together uh, was really prevalent, too. Yeah, season three is not, uh, yeah. yeah, there's some, there's some really decent episodes in season three, but they're not, it's not the best season.
3: And then yeah, I'm changing my beginning. my vote of worst episode to a third season episode that I completely forgot about because I always try to burn this episode of my brain.
1: The way to eat <laughs> <the space> <laughs> <hippies>. <laughs> Herbert, uh, Herbert, Herbert.
0: Uh, no, this
1: choice. is that's the one I always hold up as the worst. <laughs> but but all right, no, no, no. all right, oh, we're I talking about, about the Enterprise do. incident. <laughs> And I got to say, I agree with everything you said, Stephanie, except I absolutely hate the Romulan commander's, like, you know, uniform, which goes down to, like, just below her butt cheek.
0: (laughs) I mean, it wasn't that different from the Starfleet uniform. No, no, and I get it. I
1: get it. I'm just saying, you know, like.
0: I feel feel like a, a Romulan woman would have been wearing something completely different, but.
1: Right. When we have this sort of austere, you know, Romulan, like, aesthetic that we've had, where they're, you know, they've got that sort of thing going for them, and then it's sort of like, oh, yeah, but, like, our female, uh, you know, military uniform is, like, less than a miniskirt. skirt.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe she is just really confident with her sexuality. <laughs>
1: maybe, and it's the '60s. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Right. laughs>
1: but, uh, but yeah. Other than that, no. But and she does such a great. Uh, she puts in a really great performance uh, in that episode as well. Um, the actress uh, and I wish I remember the name of that Romulan commander, but I don't. And skimming really quickly, I don't see it. So. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, the subterfuge plot part, I think, is great in that one. And yeah, I mean, that episode, you're just kind of like, what is going on? You think it's just one of those really badly written season three episodes. And then it's like, oh, OK, now it's starting to make sense.
2: Yeah,
0: I really do remember watching that episode in this particular run and thinking, what the hell is going on? This is terrible. And now here I am. Say actually no, that was one that really stands out in my memory because it did have that twist all of a sudden where you're like, oh, now it all makes sense, and that was actually really good. And I like the fact that they didn't clue the audience into what was going on uh, right away. They mm-hmm. let us kind of believe that you know Kirk was kind of losing his. Sh- and that Spock really was maybe... No, there's no way Spock is turning on us and going with the Romulans, but maybe he is. I don't know. I think that was... uh an episode that was unlike many of the others in it, the entirety of this show's run.
3: It's a 60s spy movie through the Star Trek lens.
1: Mm-hmm. It is.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the reason you can't find her name is she didn't have one. She was just Romulan Commander. <laughs> yep, I just saw
1: that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, and that's one of the cool things about Star Trek is Star Trek, they did so many genres with Star Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, and I it mean, th- on whatever set they could use. Uh, it was available. Like, oh, there's a Western
4: set. All right, we'll do that. We're Western. doing a
1: gangster movie now. Okay, exactly. you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we're, we're doing a gladiator movie. Okay, we can do that too. <laughs> yep, they had to save money where they could, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, all right, so for me, I'm gonna pick one that I think is also one that people don't normally think of. Uh, and I'm gonna go with court martial. Oh, that is a
3: good one. Yeah,
1: yep. it's one that. Um, it's one that when I watched it in like 2003 or whenever I got my DVDs, um, I didn't remember it. And it's still one that I'm like, I must have seen it at some point as a kid, but I don't remember this one. It's not a kid's one though.
4: Like it's one that when you watch as a kid, it doesn't, you don't connect with it as much.
1: I think you connect with this one like much more when, as you get older. Right. It's, it's, it's one of those great sci-fi stories because it's about like, you know, uh, the, the human versus the computer and it's about the whole idea of do we take the word of a person over the word of the machine and the the idea that you know uh, you know, actually learning things for yourself is important, and not to just trust machines. And you know that's that's common mm-hmm. sci-fi trope and all that. But then there's this whole thing, like like all the relationships between the characters in this are so like interesting because you get to the point where some of the other characters start doubting, like maybe Kurt did this thing, maybe he didn't. He starts doubting himself, and you get that. The, the, there's this wonderful scene in the episode when McCoy storms in on Spock, who's playing chess. And he's like, what in the world are you doing? Jim's about, uh, you know, be be, be found guilty here. And you're just sitting here playing chess. And Spock doesn't say anything until McCoy is almost out of the room. And then he's like, I just won my sixth game. Mm -hmm. And McCoy's like, what? He's like, I just won my sixth game. Mm. And McCoy's like, that's not possible. And Spock's like, yeah, the best I should be able to do against the computer is a stalemate. You know, and it's like there's something wrong with the computer. And then, you know, the whole rest of the story and, you know, unfolds and everything, you know, about it. But, you know, it, it. I love that scene because it says so much about Spock and McCoy right there. You know, it's it's so good about how, like, Spock is so controlled and trying to find the, you know, like the, the the problem here. And McCoy is just all about the, you know, the the emotion of it and everything. And I love the, the character that they introduce as the lawyer whose name escapes me at the moment but the guy that's kirk's lawyer cogley yes cogley yes you know and again he's one of those really great you know characters you get in some of these sci-fi shows where it's all about you know like like he's got like a library full of books and kirk's like why aren't you using the computer and he's like never used the thing (laughs) you know, <laughs> I just love him. He's just so he's just got so many idiosyncrasies and everything. He's just a really fun guy to watch, and you know the whole court martial scene. But the, the whole court martial part of it, it's like you're suddenly in like Law and Order, Starfleet, <laughs> right? You don't know, don't. Right? <laughs> I would watch that show, you know? and, and they and they even have like a cool like uh, you know former relationship thing for Kirk, where you yeah. know you get the whole thing of this is his former girlfriend, but now she's going to prosecute him, but she doesn't hold back. You know, right. everything that she does in that courtroom is really trying to show that, you know, Kirk slipped up and a guy died because of it. Yeah, they such bad. a
0: massive conflict of interest that would never
1: actually happen. Right. No, she of course. Uh, no, of course. Well, it's just like the stupid next-gen thing where they, they have Riker try to prosecute Data about, like, whether or not he's sentient. And it's like, you know, <laughs> no.
4: <laughs> well, in that one, they make it clear that the judge has, I mean, it's, it, yeah, he's not making this fair. Right. Oh, yeah. Or she's not making it fair, rather, sorry.
1: Right, right. But, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I think Court Martial is just this really fascinating episode. I think it's really good. All the character stuff is good. The plot is good. You know, I mean, nowadays, yeah, okay, the idea that somebody hacked the computer, you know, we'd probably come to that conclusion right away. But, you know, in the 60s, when computers weren't that common, that's not... You know that's not an obvious thought, and the thing is, you know, they even bring up in the story like, why didn't you guys come to this conclusion already? It's like, well, because only three people could do this, like, had the skill to do this, and one of them's dead, and one of them's dead, and the other <laughs> ones are Kirk and Spock, so that's why they didn't come to that conclusion right away. So it still makes sense, even even in retrospect, I think. Um,
3: yeah, my my favorite thing about it, the uh, about that episode of the, just talking about the the nitpicks is that the. Uh, Cogley had rested his defense when Spot comes in with the bit about the computer which means the the court the case was over mm. like, the defense rests okay we're
1: done convict <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I unrest <laughs> um so yeah, yeah there's so many good episodes i mean we talked about social commentary and stuff um you know, there's let there be your last battlefield, let that be your last battlefield, you know, Mm. which, Mm -hmm. you know, some people make fun of because it's a little on the nose, but at the same time, I think that that's kind of the point. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think think they thought they were really being subtle. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes you can't afford to be subtle. Sometimes you have to go, hey, stupid. Yeah,
4: Yeah. no, absolutely. If that episode was played by, like, lesser actors, It might be really annoying, but you've got Frank Gorshwin. It was, like, just amazing in that episode.
3: The way he delivers, but he's black on the left side. Like, it's the most obvious thing in the world. Like, why can't you idiots see that this is a problem? (laughs)
1: Right. Well, and that's the thing. It needed to be something that we would laugh at and say, but that's stupid and ridiculous. Because that's the whole point of saying, like, okay, now look at what you're saying about black people in America. You know...
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I have to say, too, when I just rewatched that one, I did not remember how tragic of an episode that actually was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
4: yeah. I
0: remembered it as just being one of those hokey very obviously in your face social commentary episodes and it's actually incredibly tragic
2: mm-hmm. they get yeah. to
0: their planet to discover that they've killed out their entire species over this stupid arbitrary left or right
1: <laughs> right and and then the two of them go down there to to kill each other so yeah. and it continues even to the last man yeah no, that's, yeah. And so yeah, I've always thought that that one was like really poignant and, you know, hard hitting. Um, but I know some people laugh about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, really. It co- is
0: an easy one to laugh at, though, if you forget how it ends. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's fair. Um, yeah. and,
3: and I can't believe none of us have mentioned City on the Edge of Forever yet.
1: Yeah. Which one is it, that again? That's the one with the. the yeah, the time portal that they go oh, back yeah. and, yeah. John Collins. Yeah. I I have to say, uh, I have to agree with my daughter on that one. I don't think it's as good as people say it is. Um,
4: Oh, I think it's brilliant.
1: I really, I
4: am a big fan of it. I I love it a lot. Um, And yeah, and if anybody gets a chance to read the original script, by Harlan oh, Nelson they hmm. should do that because that's even more so but i think i think it is it yeah i almost i almost picked that but you were i think you know i was kind of like let's pick something that not a lot of people pick so um, because that one is usually known as like the best star trek episode so i think it's like you know but i, I do
3: love it a lot
1: i do love spock talking smack about how uh, to build like complex like computer circuitry with snow knives and bear skins <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: It's got some great lines. And the the, the central dilemma of be having the right idea at the wrong time. Mm. You know, and past, the emotion
4: so, behind that last scene. It's so earned. Uh, like, oh, it's yeah. just, yeah, between McCoy and Kirk. Like, do you know what you just did? And it's like, he knows. It's
3: like, oh, punch in the gut. Yeah. And the way Kirk at the end of it is like, let's get the hell out of here.
4: Yeah, it's the only yeah. time they, they allowed him to quote-unquote curse. Mm.
3: Yeah. But it, it, I was going to say, IDW has actually done a comic book adaptation of the yes. original script, and oh. it's really good. Hmm.
0: Yeah. What's the difference in the original script?
3: Um, there's it's... a drug dealer. Yep. Who, and uh, Scotty, um, Scotty's
4: on drugs.
3: <laughs> Scotty, it's some other guy. But yeah, that's the basic gist. Is there's you know, and that's one of the reasons Gene rewrote it is he didn't like the idea of there being a drug dealer all, uh, in Starfleet.
1: Mmm. Okay.
3: And uh, so this. Uh, forget how it happens, but he goes back in time, gets an accidental overdose of the drug he's pushing, and at the end, he's the one who um, st- who, who makes sure Keeler dies. Um. and because he ends, it, it's the one thing he does right in his whole life. But because he messed with the time stream, the the the, the guardian punishes him by putting him in the center of a star and he's a stuck in a time loop burning up forever and burn, feeling it. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's harsh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's really harsh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just really quick. Any other shout outs from anyone as far as like, uh, an episode that had something really hard hitting or good social commentary. Hey, time. Hmm.
4: Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think that's just a fun, you know, episode, but it's, you know, it shows the, the, the camaraderie, uh, the bond between, you know, the three of them actually. Uh, but, uh, um, and it's just so, you know, it's so interesting,
1: but, um, and, and well played. Yeah. The reaction that Spock has when he sees that Kirk is alive and Jim, Jim, (laughs) (laughs) Love that. And then McCoy gives him a hard time about it. <laughs> Not the emotional display that would, you know. Uh, I forget how he puts it, but basically, like, you know, it's an emotional display that knocked, would knock all our socks off or something. But yeah. No.
3: Yeah. And a piece of the action is fun. I always wanted hmm. to see them touch back on what those people
1: <laughs> turned
3: into. Yeah. They thought about they it for have, DS9. They've referenced it. I think. Um, I think Peter David.
4: Has uh has done uh for ah. that
1: actually.
4: Hmm. Okay. I'll have to track that down. Okay. Because I think they went back there in a novel, and instead of being all gangster, they were all like Starfleet. Well,
1: that, that was yeah. the DS Nine idea that awesome. that they were gonna for the uh, for the anniversary episode, but then they decided to do Trials and Tribulations instead.
3: And that was a much better choice, right? Yes,
1: yeah. I love that episode. <laughs> Me too.
0: Same here.
1: Um, but, uh, all right, let's, let's really quickly touch on the animated show because, um, you know, I mean, Star Trek again, I mean, one of the things that shows its popularity is people were not satisfied with three seasons. You know, I mean, it was, uh, something that was, you know, still in the public consciousness. People wanted more and, um, you know, through whatever network rights issues or whatever, they couldn't get another live action series made at the time, but it was like, but what we can do is do an animated show. And they got the original actors back to do the voices. Um, and I
0: think that's the only saving grace of the whole show. <laughs> okay. yeah.
1: And James wow. Doohan and Majel Barrett did all the other voices, <laughs> pretty yes, much. Yes, they did. Like, <laughs> all of them. And, and, <laughs> right. and one of the
3: best things that Shander's ever done as a human being was making sure everybody got paid fairly.
1: Right. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, we get a whole other Star Trek. And the thing is, and I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's issues, of course, because you're going from live action to animation. In some way, that's a good thing, because you can do more with animation. You can do effects that you couldn't do in live action. But mm-hmm. then there's the fact that they were constrained now to a 25-minute episode versus the 50-minute episodes, or however long they were for the original series. And, and, you know, DC Fontana, though, mentions that, you know, they were still making what they considered Star Trek. They were still mm-hmm. trying to tell the best science fiction stories they could tell, now just in twenty five minutes. So the the writers for the original series, like David Gerald, I know, wrote um, two or yeah, three David episodes. David Gerald was big
4: on it. DC Fontana mm-hmm. she was a major mm-hmm. part of it too. I I actually think that some of the, like some of the uh, episodes, uh, the animated series, is almost better in some ways as a whole than season three of star Trek oh, yeah. action mm-hmm. like i i think some of them are really well written uh for the time that they have you don't get to go into character development as much that's what's cut out like it's right. really just simplistic plot uh elements and and so that that kind of is but i i do think that the animation to me i mean even though yes it's you know it's by um uh uh come on help me out uh filmation, filmation. right yeah, it's yeah. Filmation. and and but i do think a lot of it is pretty pretty outstanding and pretty like i i there was a lot of scenes where i was like man this looks gorgeous like i just didn't realize because i don't think i'd ever watched it all start to finish i think i'd mm-hmm. seen a few episodes here and there but and there's a lot of things that even though paramount was reluctant to call this canon there's a lot of things that come from this series that that uh, our, our canon. Like yeah, the, the, the fact that his, the life, his middle name is Hiberius.
1: Yeah, The holodeck starts in Star Trek the Animated Series where they have the episode yep. where the computer's going crazy and they, 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 they want like this nice paradise scene and instead it turns to like a frozen wasteland. And uh,
4: Captain April being the first mm-hmm. captain of the Enterprise. Uh, a a lot of Spock's
1: uh, uh, background comes in the episode they did with uh, the time travel to Spock.
4: Okay, let me let me let me stop you on that one cuz that one is an interesting episode but I'm like that's the one where I think it's like a third second or third episode mm-hmm. and I'm watching this and I'm going okay They're obviously not targeting this for kids on Saturday morning because they just killed the dog. Right. Yes.
1: (laughs) His teddy bear. (laughs) Well, I thought that was cool because it's like, you know, Amanda mentions the teddy bear in Journey to Babel, another great original series episode that we didn't get to talk about. But, but, you know, she talks about how teddy bears on Vulcan are like, you know, giant, or no, Spock mentions the teddy bears on Vulcan are giant creatures with, you know, fangs and claws claws and everything and so it's kind of cool to actually see spock's teddy bear you know in the uh in the episode like he didn't
4: like it it's not
1: like the 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 it, the creature died at
4: the first time around but mm-hmm. the second time when spock interferes like it leads to the death of the creature and i'm like oh man that's like for kids like watching this on saturday morning are you crazy Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, no, I, I actually watched this show as a kid because um back when Nickelodeon started they didn't have enough pro like original programming to cover themselves. They got some foreign cartoons, but they also had some older kids programming. And one of the things that they did was on weekends they showed Star Trek the animated series. And so I watched Star Trek, the animated series as a kid, you know, along with the original series that I was watching on the weekdays. And for me, it's like, yeah, five times a week I get Star Trek. And then on Sunday I get Star Trek, the animated series. So um, it was like six days a week I got Star Trek content. So it was pretty cool. I I can pretty um, much
3: guarantee the hook of getting me into Star Trek as a four and five year old was watching the animated series. And getting the Color Forms play set, which was based on the animated series. And playing with that, that, and then watching the live-action show.
1: But I think I watched the animated series first. Stephanie, I think this is your first time watching the animated show, right? That's
0: what I was just about to say. Perhaps the reason why this was so painful for me is because this was the only bit of Star Trek I had never in my life watched at all. Not even a little bit. Um, And admittedly, I finished the last episode about 15 minutes before we got together to watch this podcast. Um, I've really been dragging it out. And admittedly, I kind of was like, I don't want to do this podcast just because I don't want to talk about this show. (laughs) Wow.
4: Well look, I mean, I mean I'll argue, I mean I can I can see the element where it's not I mean there's a lot of things not perfect about it and it's it is like by today's animation standards it's like yeah, it barely it doesn't hold up in a lot of ways. But um like like I said, I think I think some of the writing is strong and I like I said, it's got elements that I wish we had gotten to see in the live action. Like uh it's got a lot of follow ups to live action episodes and like, the fourth episode, Lorelei Signal, you get to see, like, the women characters come together in a way and do things that we never saw on the original series.
0: And, I mean, one thing I really like, too, is that we actually got more variety to what aliens look like. Mm-hmm. Which yes. I, I yeah. certainly would hope we would be able to do when they're just animating and they're not trying to stick makeup on a person or something like that.
1: Well, they also tried to do a little more diversity in the human cast, too, because we get, like, some running bear You know, Mm -hmm. just like, uh, you know, an American character and some stuff like that. So, I mean, they 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 tried to make it more diverse because, again, with animation, you can do whatever you want. So, yeah. And then you get the aliens, you get the three armed alien. You know, you got the cat girl alien. Oh, yeah. Atrex. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they 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 did that as well. And there
3: are rumors that the two of them may pop up in the next season of Discovery as background characters.
1: Mm, That would be that would be interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things that was nice though, that even though James Doohan and Majel Barrett did most of the other voices, it was like a notable character like Sarek or Harry Mudd or something. They would actually get the actor, you know, for them and, and get them to to redo their role.
0: And that really was a fantastic thing for them to do. And I, I am partially kidding when I say that's the only saving grace of the show. Um, I think that definitely played a big part though in making it feel more connected though Mm. in the fact that I didn't need to relearn new voices especially because they did so many close ups of just the character's face and the animation was so simplistic sometimes I had to look at the wrinkles and be like okay is this supposed to be Kirk is this supposed to be McCoy okay the voice is clearly Kirk or something
1: like that the one that got me is when they're supposed to be running and they run sideways off screen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. I also
0: think it's funny that the ship is always moving in the same direction, and then what was it, the last episode where they're going backwards through time? Mm-hmm. It, it's going backwards because it's finally going
1: right to <laughs> left direction. instead of left to right. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. I, think, uh, I think some of that, uh, I, I actually, you know, and like some of the shots of the ship and everything. And and boy, I tell you what, we haven't even really talked about the the other character on the ship, which or the, uh, the other character on this whole series, just the Enterprise, which is yes. probably can you can devote to a whole podcast
1: in and of itself. No, what you're a- right. It, it, I mean, it's such an interesting design. It's so different from the flying saucer type it's stuff. It's upside you, down, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> before that, I mean, you look at like uh, Lost in Space. It's just a flying saucer, right? I mean, yep. it's it's yep. that's that's what ships were, and. It's
4: uh, my- Favorite spaceship ever. I mean, it's oh, so beautiful. It's so beautifully designed. And It just looks so majestic. Um, and and even in this animated form, I just I just can't stop looking at it. I just think it's beautiful.
0: I think that is where most of their animation budget went
4: to. <laughs> <laughs> the rotoscoping of the. Uh, and, the you
0: know, yeah. I try really hard. Well, I don't usually try really hard because I like old animation. I one of my favorite movies is The Beatles' Yellow Submarine. Mm. And honestly, I made a Facebook post right after I started watching the animated series that obviously all the people who pick on me for liking the yellow submarine and really criticizing that movie's animation has clearly never watched Star Trek, the animated series.
1: <laughs> but but I mean, I mean, look at the plot lines, though. I mean, stuff like the one where they're uh, getting shrunk down. That's so you could see that being done as a live action episode, except the budget would have killed them. You know, yeah, like hey, it's we're... really
4: fun to do it here on animated. one, though. Right. Well, and then, but it does, like, look, look, I can imagine that if you're, like, you're only, like, first of all, if you're watching Infinite Vulcan, like, no offense, Walter Koenig, I know you didn't get a chance to do a voice, but damn, writing this really weird episode where there you've got this you've got this massively giant Spock out there now. Like, what?
2: Like, he's still
4: out there. Like,
1: he's still alive.
4: Giant Spock is still out there.
1: Right, and that's probably one of the reasons why they hesitate to make the animated series canon is stuff like that. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I see it. That's the thing. I watched it with the mindset of, you know, cause I hadn't really seen it since I was a kid and I watched it with the mindset of this is far better than it has any right to be. And the science fiction aspect of it, I felt like I could see in a lot of the cases. I mean, there were some bad episodes. I think the first one was really awful, but you know, the, the, but for the most part, I felt like the scripts were, And, you know, a a serious attempt at doing a Star Trek story, but constrained by the length and trying to just get it done as quickly, you know, in in, in the time frame. Um, But, you know, the concepts were there and it was great having the voice cast. And, yeah, while the animation wasn't the best, they got to be clever because they could do. I mean, you know, Kirk and Spock get turned into Mermen. Yeah. You know, again, you couldn't have done it in live action. But it was an interesting concept, and it was, you know, a, a decent episode idea that they did, I think, as well as they could in 25 minutes, and so it was fine for me to watch that and go like, oh, okay, that's kind of neat, you know, and move on. But yeah, it'll never be as good as the original series, because they didn't have the time to really develop any storyline to the point that it was really hard-hitting and of course also because it was animated they always i'm sure they had to dial it back a little bit anyway just because it was like well primarily this is going to be kids watching this yeah you know because that's the mindset in the 70s you know that cartoons have to be saturday it's, morning tv right exactly so
4: i'm also i'm also gonna,
1: i'm also gonna get them clean here because uh um
4: all right so uh i love the original series i love the uh next generation I love *Deep Space Nine, but that is probably the last *Star Trek* series I've absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm watching this series from start to finish recently. I've remembered uh, while watching something new, my love for *Star Trek*. This made me this tapped into something that uh, from st- that *Star Trek* means to me personally that I haven't felt uh, since. I would say, or very rarely since uh, the end of Deep Space Nine. And um, uh, I, I really, you know, appreciated that. I was like, so they got the tone and they got what, at least what that means to me right. Now, I know that, you know, Star Trek means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And there's a lot of, you know, there's there's people who love all the other shows and movies and stuff like that. But um, it's something that I personally haven't felt for a long time. Mm. No, and it was nice yeah. to feel that again.
1: No, I, I get that. Because for me, that's the um, Doctor Who TV movie that did that for me. Because uh, I sort of had a gap uh, when I was growing up where I kind of fell out of Doctor Who. And watching that TV movie like revived my love of doctor who
4: yeah i could see that that kind of happened to me too yeah i get that yeah i get that completely
1: (laughs) yeah so so yeah i mean i can totally get that same sort of thing and then i like went hard back into doctor who fandom because of that so i totally get the feeling you that you got from watching the animated show i think that's really nice um something that i realized that we didn't talk about i mean you mentioned the ship mike which yes we we totally needed to talk about the ship that i realized we haven't talked about yet is the star trek theme you know, uh,
3: Alexander Courage. Yeah, oh.
1: well, then not only the theme, the intro, also with with space, the final frontier, which has become so iconic. That whole introduction to Star Trek, and you know, it, it's 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 so cool because it's I don't know. It sets up it sets up that idea of what this show is. It's about the exploration. It's about the discovery and everything. And then you get that sort of otherworldly sort of music with the uh, what's it called a Zimmerman. What is that? That that yeah, that thing that you, yeah that, that they make the the music that woo, you know it's really cool. So you know I really like that. Uh, I really like that uh, you know that theme uh, music on there. So it did have lyrics when it first you know not when it aired, but when it was first written, it did have lyrics.
4: Interesting. I'm, I'm glad they well, did. I, <laughs> right. The lyrics or are if like if I
3: remember correctly, it was that Roddenberry wrote lyrics to it so that he could actually also get a cut of the music rights. Mm.
0: Of course he did.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> because even if he didn't use them, they were written. Yeah but but you know and that's it's funny because i thought about the intro because the animated series it uses the right. the, the words but right. it's a completely different theme you know and yeah. it's it doesn't quite work but of course you didn't want to have to pay to use the uh the theme i don't know, you know? next
4: generation doesn't use the alexander courage theme either but it the, the same the words are the same and that works for me
1: yeah no you're yeah. right next generation that that's another really good score um, oh, yeah. but yeah <laughs> we we could do we could do a podcast on scores for uh for star trek because uh, there's been a
4: lot of there's been a lot
1: movies. of them right? uh, actually but I there's
0: there's another thing i didn't like with the animated series was uh-huh. i can only think of like one song ever being played in the background and i guess i kind of got spoiled with the original series actually having a pretty good uh set of background music.
3: Mm. Yeah, well, the anime series is pretty much <acrony> that.
4: <sentido> yeah, they and... have like they have three sets of music cues, and that's
1: yeah. But come on, the only background music you remember from the original Star Trek is. <espec powers> <tribute> <susp> <quit> <distributions> and
2: to be
4: <laughs> fair, I don't think those three music cues in the animated series are just for the Star Trek animated series. I think if you watch any filmation animated series, you will find those same music cues in all of them. Yeah, whether it's the Batman series or. Oh man, the Flash Gordon series is so good. Uh, mm. like there's a lot oh, of Oh yeah. I it, and you know, if you're not used to watching filmation because I grew up with it. So if you're not used to watching it, I could definitely see where the animation style would throw you off, but it was one that I'd been accustomed to because I grew up with it.
1: Well, I think we're going a little bit long here. <laughs> it's a go past. There's so
4: much we still have to talk I about. I know there's so yeah. much. So It's so it's such a huge I mean, look, well like it hasn't been talked enough over the last 50 years,
3: right? Right. <laughs> Well, people need our opinions,
1: right? Well, and that's the thing. I'm dividing this up by doing a podcast for every Star Trek series, but there's still so much to talk about. You know, even going just with with a podcast episode per series, and even uh,
0: when we did Discovery, and it was only one season worth, we still had more we could
1: have talked about. <laughs> oh God, but yeah. So, um, last or final thoughts here on Star Trek, um. Mike, let's start with you. Like, so if there's anything you want to shout out about that you haven't yet, um, just just any any final thoughts that you have on Star Trek.
4: Oh man, I you know what? I hope I never have final thoughts on Star Trek mm. because uh, Star Trek for me is a show that I can and thank you for having again for the invite to to watch this. Be again an excuse to rewatch it because uh, I, I I find that uh, episodes or scenes that I had uh, watched when I was a kid or that I watched over the years many times have new meaning for me now it's a show that i find grows with me uh which i can't say that about other shows you know a lot of shows don't you know do they hold up and some of them just plain don't Mm -hmm. uh but this one is like is one i can definitely like you know i could have picked and again i could have picked 10 15 other episodes uh to to, that this time i watched and i was like damn that's a i'd forgotten how good this is Mm -hmm. um and, it, and, and it's everything that I want in, in television, and more, because it's really, I think, in this day and age, um, I wish we had a series like Star Trek, the original series, that showed us that, you know what, as bad as things are right now, it's going to be okay, we're going to get through it, we're all, gonna, we're all one race, we're all going to be able to work together, and this is what it looks like when we do. Because, you know, it's easy to say that. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't we just get all get along? Mm-hmm. But it's like, what does that look like? Gene showed us what it looked like. And it was beautiful. It was something that we all wanted to aspire to. And we haven't had that in decades. And I think this now more than ever, we need a show like that.
1: Okay. Gary, uh, final thoughts for Star Trek.
3: It's really hard to top what Mike said there. Um, it is my first fandom. I could remember, you know, that's. The thing I like I said, I was watching Star Trek as a toddler mm. watching the animated series, watching this. It shaped so much of my life. It shaped my worldview. You know, that you know, the Kirk's speech in about risk. Oh, yeah. Mm. You know, risk is our business is such a great thing. There's so many great moments. Um, there's a reason. 50 years later, we're still talking about these three seasons. Um, It's just, it's fantastic. Uh, And I also want to give a shout out, if you're a Star Trek fan, if you haven't watched the Futurama episode where no fan has gone before, you're really hurting yourself. (laughs) Because it's one of the best love letters and poking fun of Star Trek that's ever been done. I will second that in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs> That's the one where, like, um, they're brought to the planet to fight, right? And they're, they're giving their bodies back.
3: Yeah. Right. You know, they're they, the, the energy being, you know, like, traps them all in the Star Trek convention. And Chekhov's like, oh, God, it is hell. Right.
1: <laughs> and Kirk just rips her shirt for no reason. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Stephanie, final thoughts for Star Trek?
0: Well, I am really glad that this podcast pushed me to finally finish my, uh, I, I, I hesitate in calling it a rewatch, but it's also not really a first watch for the original series. It's just, it, I'm glad I only watched it start to finish and in my adult life to really appreciate and understand what the series really is as opposed to the general pop culture, almost meme version that we have um, in all of our. Thoughts when we think of the original Star Trek, as we discussed at the beginning of this podcast. Um, and I've always been such a hardcore next-generation fan, and now finally watching the original series start to finish, there are actually things that I see that I, I never thought I would ever place parts of the original series above next-gen, but it, you do see some of these areas where somehow in the 60s it was actually a little bit more boldly going than the one that we got in the 80s and 90s. Um, And those were all topics that we touched upon here and I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the uh, Next Generation podcast as well. But one of those big ones being the fact that humans still had a little big conflict but they were striving to be this great utopia. Um, And then in Next Gen they... It kind of lost that conflict most of the time. Um, but I'm really glad that it's still a series that is in the public consciousness. Even if it is dwindling a little bit and goes through these waves. Um, I don't think it's something that will ever truly leave our consciousness. And I sure hope it doesn't. Because it does bring a great sense of promise and what we could be if we really put our minds to it. And... I think that really is a a great thing and we could use more of this ideology in today's world as you guys were already talking about um and even going through the animated series it, it wasn't quite what i had hoped it would be in terms of a continuation um but Even though I kind of trash talked it, you you know me, I I tend to be overly critical on a lot of things, even when I enjoy them. Anybody who ever watched any of my Sailor Moon uh, vlogs knows I ripped that (laughs) apart to hell and back, but in reality, I absolutely enjoyed it and loved it. Um, I'm just a bit of a harsh critic of things I really enjoy, so I'm glad, too, that you gave me this push to finally actually watch that experiment.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Because <laughs> um, I'm not so sure I ever would have actually followed through with the intent of watching that had we not been planning to, uh, to watch or to do this. Until together. I put a hard
1: date on you. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: admittedly, this podcast probably would have happened, like, two, three, four months ago is the one for the animated series and me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was ready in early October. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is my fault.
4: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm glad, actually, because it did give me, like I said, I'm, I'm still, my rewatch of the animated series, I'm still, like, I still haven't finished completely, so mm. I'm, uh, I, I I, was kind of tight there, too, so I, I imagine, I, I welcome the additional time we had. Mm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Nathan was on me a lot like have you watched it yet? I'm like, "Maybe."
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like you watched a couple of them really quickly and it was like great progress and then it was like no more progress, no more progress. <laughs> so-
4: can I ask can I ask what it was that made like was made it so difficult for you? Was it just the animation or was it just like it was it, just it, tedious?
0: It felt really stiff.
4: Mm. I you know what? I've heard other people talk about that too and I I can get that. Like yeah, some of the some of the actors feel like they're reading rather than emoting. Mm. It
0: really does. I mean, I'm glad that they were the original voices because, like I said, sometimes the, they had so many of those close face shots where for a moment or two, I was like, okay, where are some visual clues as to what character this is? Okay, at least I recognize the voice. We're good. But, yeah, there there was not as much emoting or passion to any of what was going on, really. And it just, it felt really stiff. And I think had been just a little bit better voice acting, which I know these people are capable of doing better acting. Um,
3: Yeah, but voice acting is a whole different skill. Oh,
0: it definitely is. But if I, it, I
4: if think... it means anything to you, according to William Shatner, when he was recording his uh, his, his audio for this, he was on the can when he did this. <laughs> so, well, so if that helps, <laughs> like that, that might get you through. Well, more of I
0: would totally believe it. Well, DeForest
1: <laughs> Kelly was the one that struck me as being such a different performance vocally than mm-hmm. as as McCoy. You know, like as, as being in person, because like McCoy sounds very stiff in the animated really?
3: show. I don't get yeah, well, it at all.
4: Like, I find, I, find, uh, I find Kirk and McCoy, uh, uh, McCurk, McCoy and, and, and especially Leonard, really good at times. There's other mm. times where it, it is, uh, does seem like they're just spouting exposition on the can. Um, but, uh, you know, what? the weird voice for me was, Nichelle Nichols as Uhura is, like, really sometimes very, like, high-pitched, mm. and it threw me off.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, there were occasional times where I'm like, that kind of sounds like Uhura, but it kind of doesn't.
4: And I know it's her. I'm just like, why yeah. doesn't it not sound
1: like her? I tell you though, it's the it's the other voice that me because James Duhan and and <laughs> like, and Major Barrett have you know when they try to do like their sixth voice, it's like it sounds really odd. You know, it's like you know. I
0: mean, I told you in and I am. It sounds like they just grabbed Bob from accounting and Jane from the reception and oh hey, they have a kid and we need a kid. Um, yeah, some of the the supporting voices that they did were just so bad
3: then uh, as one of the big problems doing voice acting is doing it solo not bouncing right. off someone else right they it were doing hard. them
1: independently and recording them and sending them in so it's yeah. one of the reasons
3: i always love uh, the road to el dorado animated movie is that brenna and klein recorded their lines together and it really does make that duo sing mm-hmm. but I, I have to confess something though I have watched so much Star Trek over all of my life that the last time I watched an episode of Star Trek was six months ago. I did
1: all this from burned in memory. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty good. Um, Stephanie, did you have any other final thoughts?
0: I think that about covered it.
1: Car- <laughs> yeah, um, for me, I do want to do just a couple of shout outs. I do want to shout out for Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, where we get all silver eyes because mm. that is a fantastic episode. I'm kind of surprised they went with the man trap as the one they actually aired first because I don't think that's anywhere near as strong. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, where no man has gone before. It's a great episode. I mean, Kirk has to confront his best friend who's been corrupted by being granted godhood and has to end up killing him. You know, I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is this is some hard hitting stuff. You know, I yeah.
0: Become- Completely opposite end of that spectrum. Actually, you made me think of something I did want to say. Is we have the final episode of the
1: original <laughs> oh, series. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> I was going to so avoid cute. that one, but okay. <laughs> uh, Turnabout <laughs> Intruder. And
0: that one you can just totally tell Roddenberry had absolutely nothing to do with because why the f- is a woman not allowed to be captain? That does not at all fit into the rest of this universe that we have established.
1: Well, And that whole episode you know.
0: just makes no sense and is terrible and, oh, it was such a low note. I mean, I know back then TV shows didn't plan extraordinary for the last episode, but, oh, that one was just, like, really bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that one. I, well, the, yeah. It, it's one of those ones <laughs> that, much like Balance of Terror, I try to, like, sort of read things into things that are being said. They never actually said a woman can't be a captain. Crazy lady said, your world of Starfleet captains doesn't accept women. But she's crazy, A. And B, it almost seemed like she was saying that she couldn't be with Kirk together as a cat i don't i don't know it was weird and it was, seemed like almost the writer didn't even know exactly what he was trying to say with that episode so i kind of like kind of squint my eyes at that one and say like maybe it doesn't mean what everyone thinks that it means so i i just find shatner's performance in that so over the top that i just love it it's it's,
4: it's so much like his singing or his vocal performances that uh i'm just
1: like i i'm just basking in all that is shatner at that, at sure. that point <laughs> um, Another one that I wanted to shout out really quick was Space Seed which I don't uh, think is one of the greatest episodes but it gives us one of the greatest villains um, yes, which is yes. Khan which even in that episode uh, Ricardo Montalban has such charisma and is so dominant in every scene that he's in that you can just tell that this is a force to be reckoned with and yes. for the fact that Khan and the whole idea of the genetically engineered superhumans and everything it creates this sort of thing that that like spirals through Star Trek from here on you know it touches you know Wrath of Khan of course the movie but also DS9 deals with it um, Enterprise deals with it somewhat you know i mean you get all that kind of stuff so um um, it's a very important episode and I think that Ricardo Montalban, uh, was amazing in it. So I feel like it deserves, uh, at least a comment.
3: And one of McCoy's best moments of when Con
1: Khan grabs
3: him and he's like, I suggest you cut the carotid under <laughs> right, the right. Yes. Ear. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, damn, <laughs> you got some brass ones, McCoy.
1: <laughs> and the other one that's a personal favorite of mine that I wanted to, to mention is Mirror Mirror.
3: Mm. Yep. Yep. Where we learned that goatees are evil. Right. Yes. Well,
1: it's that. And, and even the idea, though, that, like, again, talking about, like, how close we are to still being, like, our savage past, showing that, mm-hmm. you know, like, basically, like, for the grace of God, you know, go I, you know, this way. Like, the Federation could have been a much darker thing. You know? I mean, it could have been this oh, evil yeah. empire instead. And so you sort of get that nice little contrast of, you know... So, so Roddenberry actually gave us both versions, right? Just, just we only see one of them for very, you know, little bit. We get the dystopia, and then we get the utopia that we see most of the time. So it was kind of nice to to have that, you know, episode in there, and to and to see them dealing with a world where it's so familiar but so different. Um, so I mean, like McCoy and his horror at like the the like he calls it like a chamber horrors in sick bay or whatever, you know, and um, yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's really just a good old southern torturer, right? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, aside from those shoutouts, I mean, there's there's so many good episodes. Those are just ones I wanted to mention because of personal. Personally, I like those ones quite a bit. Um, But uh, you know, again, I mean, I think I think everybody's kind of mentioned the things about Star Trek. I mean, so far ahead of its time socially gave us so much that science fiction deals with now and it's still good to watch still compelling characters um i think that if you are someone like stephanie that grew up with next gen and i know that there are a lot of people who did that kind of feel hesitant going back to the original series because they just don't think that they'll be able to get into it give it a shot
0: hey i didn't feel hesitant about the original series was the animated series. Oh, no, I no,
1: no, 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 doing. no. But I mean, there are people who, <laughs> like you, grew up with the next generation. See, you also got a lot of original series in your back. But I know there are a lot of people of, you know, just a few years younger than me that never saw the original series at all.
0: Us dang millennials.
1: Right. <laughs> <Eugenics>. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're of that generation and you didn't get to watch original series at all, But you love Next Gen, maybe love other Star Treks too. Give original series Star Trek a try.
0: It really isn't what pop culture says it
1: is. (laughs) And and cherry pick, because this is a show you do not need to watch from beginning to end. I think you gain a little something from it, but that's only if you're going into it wanting to watch the whole series. I would definitely say if you just want to give a taste of it. Cherry pick the the episodes we mentioned, you know, like just do like the best of and a
0: few others, right?
1: You know, but yeah, try to get recommendations for best of type episodes and just watch those.
4: Preferably Galileo the second seven. season, first or second season. Stick with those. Right. Primarily. If you're gonna if you're gonna go in with the first three, for the first year, first
1: episode.
0: Right. Just not Spock's brain. Right. No,
1: no, no. Or way to eat or avoid at all oh, costs. God. Or Spectre of the Gun. But anyway, um, I like
4: Spectre of the Gun. <laughs> I do too. I'll
1: I'll stick up with that. Oh jeez. All right. <laughs> uh, by the way, Mike, I'm gonna say that, that you're wrong about Cat Spock. because the first time we see the Q continuum is Squire of Gothos. Oh, that's
4: right. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Trelane.
1: <laughs> he he's a Q. Trelane. He's a Q or you know <laughs> as as far as I can see. But anyway. Uh,
0: oh, uh oh, oh, one more thing before we actually, you know, start saying bye right. that I just remembered. Have you guys heard that they're making a new? Animated Star Trek series.
1: I have heard yeah. that. Heard it. Yeah, something called like Below decks or something like that. Yeah, Lower decks. Lower shirt. decks. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Uh, yeah. I don't know much about it. But right. I'm, I
0: don't think they've um, released much about it yet.
3: Yeah, just it's going to be. What's it like to be an ensign on the Enterprise? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to know what it's like to be an ensign on the Enterprise, read Red Shirts. Mm-hmm. Rob, that's what I thought you were going to say.
1: <laughs> 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 but. But, um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about, I mentioned it very briefly in the beginning. And I'm curious if you are either or any of you guys familiar with either um, Star Trek New Voyages or Star Trek Continues? Yes. I've actually like
4: been uh, wonderful. I've actually visited some of the sets for at least the New Voyages. So, oh, uh, no, sorry. Star Trek Continues. I have visited those sets down in, down in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. See, they only
1: open that one every once in a while. But the, the sets for right. uh, New Voyages are actually uh, a museum in uh, New York State. And it's it's magic. Yeah, it is.
4: Uh, I mean, it's for something that a show that meant so much to me to visit these. I know they're replicas. I know this is not where actually you know Shatner sat or whatever, but and I've seen those sets too. Those pieces of those sets. Uh, they're at the museum of, or they were at the museum of uh, pop culture in in Seattle. But um, the the replica sets are just oh man, talk about taking me back and just like making it was emotional for me.
1: I think it's uh, if you Google Star Trek tour. Um, it's in Ticonderoga, New York, and, uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's so far out of the way, um, that, you know, you have to be planning a visit or nearby or something to make it worth your while unless you live up there, but, um, definitely give it a look if you're ever in that area, and like, uh, Mike mentioned, every once in a while in southern Georgia, they do open up the sets for continues, but because, um, The sets in New York are actually officially licensed by Paramount now to be an official Star Trek museum. The guys in Georgia can't do the same thing. So they have to do like a sort of free kind of thing. Like every once in a while for a weekend, they'll open it up, like, hey, come take a look. Um, So you do have to pay for the tickets to the museum. I want to say it's like $15, but it's well worth your time. And if you go there and they can tell that you're like a real fan, they will actually give you the fan experience. Like after the tour was over, since I came actually dressed in a Starfleet uniform. They let me go back into the sets and take pictures and stuff that I wanted to take, you know, like away from the tour because he was like, hey, you know, I see you're dressed for this, you know, (laughs) like, do you want to have like some, you know, some shots? So he got me on the transporter because I was wearing a red shirt and had the engineering (laughs) um, insignia. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we did that. He's
4: like, it's important that this is the engineering right? so I need to make it through this a (laughs) lot.
1: So, yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, God, that was it was so cool because they they, they have so faithfully recreated it. I mean, like um, they even contacted the people that did the the set for Trials and Tribulations who had to recreate so Mm -hmm. much of it and basically redid and used as much of the blueprints as they could from that. To, to make as an authentic uh, a thing. And there's actually a funny thing in sick bay uh, or in McCoy's office, not in the actual sick bay, but McCoy's office. There's this weird section that's completely blank where it's like, there's a piece of a bench and then there's nothing. And it's just a blank wall. And you're like, well, why is there a blank wall there? And they're like, the, the camera never shows that corner or that specific part- portion. So since we don't know what's there, ah. even though it seems like the bench should stand over, we don't put anything there because we don't know. Wow. And that's how authentic they're being. That they don't want to be put something there that wasn't. They're like, we're going to get some of the original cast up and uh, because they have people coming through now because now paramount paramount's officially endorsed them because you know paramount doesn't let people do fan films anymore that are like full episode length or whatever but they will let them be a museum and so now they're actually getting the actual stars there so they said like william shatner's coming up in another few weeks and we're gonna ask him and pick his brain to see if he remembers like what the what was here you know on the set and so it's stuff like that it's really cool um but uh but yeah, I mean, I'm going to recommend uh, a continues, especially, um, yes. yeah. new voyages because it took place. Like it started in like 2001 or something like that. It was a long time ago. Some of them are really, and well. they only released like an episode a year or every other year for a while. The, a lot of the older ones aren't as good because they're definitely learning their craft as they're going. Um, but towards the end, I think New Voyages got about as good as Continues does. But Continues was much tighter. They did eleven, 11 episodes over the span of four years, and it's a it, it's really well done. Um, the episodes are really Vic Magonia is an, an excellent Kirk. He yeah. is just fantastic. Yeah, no, I think everybody in Continues is great. They get Chris Duhan, James Duhan's son yes. to be Scotty. He's excellent. And they also
3: have Grant Imahara
1: uh, as Sulu, uh, Sulu yeah. right? Um, I think Continues is just amazing. And if you want the Star Trek experience, if you've seen all the original series, and if you want to just have more episodes, I strongly recommend watching Star Trek Continues. There are some times where I feel like the episodes aren't quite up to snuff, but some of the original ones weren't, you know, and there are some that I think are just excellent. Um, um, what ships are for is one that they did that I think is just amazing. It's the one they do in black and white um and that that episode it has john delancey in it yeah they get some great cameos yeah that that one's as good as any star trek ever in my yeah. mind
3: and, yeah jamie bamber plays a red shirt who gets <laughs> waxed uh yeah uh jennifer gray comes in mm-hmm. one episode i think er, yeah yeah she, uh,
1: yeah she she's in two actually jennifer gray um but uh but yeah so and they actually Isn't stan lee in one of them not stan lee but colin baker and nicola bryan are in different episodes I thought there's one where Stan Lee plays a, a Commodore. Mm, I did not see Stan.
3: I know Gil Gerard, I think, plays a Commodore. Yeah, Gil Gerard's yeah. in
1: one, yeah. But but yeah. but um, but, uh, also the other cool thing is that they actually created Continues to Bidge with the motion picture. So by the end of Continues, you see people at Starfleet wearing the motion picture style uniform. So it actually does feel like a nice... Like, a bridge. Like, if you want to watch the original series, and you watch Continues, and then you watch Motion Picture. And they explain why the Enterprise needs to be redesigned so heavily <laughs> for the Motion yeah. Picture. Because by the end of it Continues, it's really messed up. <laughs> so... It's uh
0: They let Riker pilot. No.
1: <laughs> we time about Troy's the one who crashed the D, but us not go there. Right.
0: Okay, every time Riker's in command, something bad happens to
1: the Enterprise.
2: Right. <laughs> All right. That's another podcast
0: right. for another time.
2: Uh
4: Stan I'm sorry, Stanley, I just looked it up because it was bugging me because I know I've seen Stanley in a Starfleet uniform and he was in uh the fan film um, uh, by
3: the Farragut crew, oh, okay. who also ah.
4: filmed who also filmed down in Florida, I mean in Georgia, and uh, also I guess in one called um, it. This one's called uh, Star Trek Isolation. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, he did. Um, yeah, so awesome. anyway, so yeah, he he appeared in that.
1: So. Yeah, there we go. Go ahead, but um. So, so, yeah, I just wanted to do an aside about that. I mean, it is a shame because I think, I think we were reaching a sort of golden age of fan films. Um, because, like yeah. like Mike mentioned, the Farragut, which was a, another Constellation-class starship, where they were doing fan films about that. And, and you know, we written, had continuous... Episodes new... written
3: by the working Bobby Nash.
1: Right. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, we had continuous new voyages. And it was like, to my mind, this does not compete with what Paramount's doing now because they're doing sh- stories in the style of the 60s. Right. So I mean it's not like they're really infringing on them and taking away money from them, but they're the holders of the copyright. So it's theirs to to do what they want. So they don't want episode-length um fan films anymore and they're not going to get made.
3: Yeah. I I will say this about Luke. I wish more companies would take the Lucasfilm approach of as long as you're not making any money off it or charging people, we don't care. Well
1: Axanar screwed it up for everybody and I get yes, that. Yes. And, and and that's a whole can of worms we don't need to get into in this podcast. But just so yes. everybody is aware, there was one film project that was so big, so massive, and they were going to use it to then make money off of future projects that got Paramount pissed at everybody. And so since they had to mis- make rules, you know, legally, if you make rules for somebody, you gotta make them for everybody. Oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way. It, and
3: it also didn't help that there were a whole bunch of people going, NXR is better than any of the movies that are coming out right now. It's like, yeah. really? Don't, guys. Guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right. <laughs> all right, but now it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> I almost did the Mickey Mouse Club. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our family. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find us online. So, um, Gary, let's start with you.
3: Uh, you can find me at DragonCon as co-director of the American Sci-Fi Alliance Track. You can find me at uh, at uh, Who Lanta as co-director of Otherworlds Programming. Uh, you can find me when it comes back, hopefully in mid-January, on the RevCast when it comes back to life. Uh, you can also will be soon able to find me on Who's the Doctor? Talking Outside the Box, a video podcast about Doctor Who that's going to be on a part of the Retroblasting Network, and you can find me on Twitter as Gary underscore Mitchell, Mitchell with one L.
1: Right And uh, Stephanie, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find Line?
0: All right. Well, thanks again for having me on for another Star Trek episode. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Elcrea, uh, A L K R E A. Instagram is Lady Elcrea. And I think my Facebook page is the same, Lady Elcrea. Pretty sure. Uh-
3: <laughs> All right.
0: Yeah, I. I- based out there i've got a cat yelling at oh, me for
3: food sure
0: <laughs> a cat who appropriately enough is named neelix mm. well i guess it would be more appropriate if we were talking about voyager
2: but <laughs> still
1: <special. laughs> yeah it's still Sarcher. all right and uh, mike why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you well, as always, it's been my pleasure, sir. Thanks again for the
4: invite. Uh, and you can find me uh, every week on the Earth Station One podcast and uh, the other part of the main station, I guess we'll call it. Uh, the Yeah, earthstation1.com, dot uh, com, And keep up with my endeavors outside of podcasting, my writing and comics and whatnot, uh,
1: just go to newlegendproductions.com. All right, and so Mike, Gary, and Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thank you for having us.
1: Live long and prosper. Watch
0: Peace and long life.
1: <laughs> the needs of the many.
0: Outweigh the needs of the few.
1: <laughs> or the one. And that's it for our first look back at a Star Trek series. We want to know what you think. Do you like the idea of us doing a series of interconnected episodes like this? Do you like the topic? Do you want us to talk about other things? You can let us know in a whole bunch of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a comment on any of the episodes. You can go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also tweet to us at 42cast or go to our Instagram at 42cast and leave us messages there. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. As I've mentioned before, with Apple Podcasts, the more reviews we get, the more that we'll show up on searches in Apple, so I would really appreciate it if you would do that. It certainly helps us out more, so please think about doing that. I also want to mention the ESO Patreon. That is a way for you to support the network, supports all the shows on the network, and you can do that if you have any funds that you would like to give to us to help us keep on producing content. You can go to patreon.com slash ESO network. There's also various perks that you get for different tiers. You can get access to early episodes, exclusive episodes. There's a whole exclusive ESO podcast that you can get access to also. So uh, check that out. I'm also going to pimp my other two shows. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I go and talk about all things Doctor Who from the very beginning to now. We're watching through, and we explain everything that you need to know about the episodes, so you don't need to watch them. You don't need to either pay for BritBox or buy the DVDs or whatever to watch them to understand what we're talking about, because we explained it all. But obviously, if you do have access to that stuff and you want to watch with us, then that will... You know, it'll probably give you a little bit of a deeper understanding, and uh, you might get a little more out of the episodes, but I still think it's a lot of fun even if you don't do that, so check that out. The other one is uh, Legendary Forces, which by the time this airs should be out, and that is one where uh, several friends and I have gotten together. We're talking about all Star Wars fictional media from 1976 to the present. Uh, And we'll talk about each one, we'll sort of review it from a qualitative standpoint, but then also talk about whether or not it's worth your time investigating it now, because a lot of that stuff is no longer considered canon by Disney, but some of it is still pretty good, so we want to let you know what's worth checking out, even if it doesn't quote-unquote matter anymore to the Star Wars stories that are being told right now. In con news, I am contributing to Virtual Dragon Con. I've recorded a panel uh, tribute to Sean Connery. I've also recorded a panel about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series for Disney+. Plus. I believe I'm going to be on a panel for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right now, we're currently trying to schedule that one, and it seems that several of us have schedules that are mutually exclusive. So it may end up that I am not on that panel if it just turns out that to get the majority together, my schedule's the one that has to go, or if it's going to be somebody else, I don't know. So I might do that one for the Brit track, but as far as I know now, those are the ones that I'm doing. I will also be contributing a panel to the American Sci-Fi Classics track, which is actually a 42-cast panel rather than a panel that they're setting up that I'm just guesting on. And that one is going to be on the 35th anniversary of Howard the Duck. Ryan, if you've been listening to this for any length of time, Ryan absolutely loves Howard the Duck and has been wanting us to talk about Howard the Duck for a while. And when I was looking at anniversaries for this year, Howard the Duck came up, and really so many people that have guested on the show were interested in doing a Howard the Duck panel. It's the one that got the most votes for what topic, you know, what thing, what movie, what TV show, whatever we would cover fell under the classic track. So we will be doing a Howard the Duck panel, which is fine. I actually enjoy Howard the Duck, so it'll be fine. I was just surprised when it was up against things like Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark that howard the duck won but you know oh heck even sailor moon i'm surprised it won against sailor moon too i mean things that are fairly big scale properties but anyway i will also be at chicago tardis in late november so that will be in person still not sure exactly what protocols and everything they're going to go with there but i at the very least will be there at chicago tardis But that's it for this week. Join us back next week when Ben Affleck will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42cast.com theme music is sharper swords by brandon ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the eso network this
0: has been a broadcast of the eso network